Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. First of all, I'd like to apologize about how this sounds, because it got a bit colder today and my nose is running once again, just for the time of this uh, big, interesting interview, I hope. Interesting. Because I am joined here today by Jack from Secret Police Podcast and Alex, whom you all know already from History Impossible. We're going to talk about some of the weird, fringy stuff on the political spectrum and why people, why people in the United States support Putin and... What does Russia think about, well, everything that America is and its multitude of problems in uh, both places. So I'll let my guests introduce themselves to you and then we'll probably get going and I'll clean my nose. Okay, uh, Alex, hi, what's up? How's it going, man? I'm glad to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Alex, Alexander von Sternberg. I like to say my full pretentious name just because as uh, our friend CJ Kilmer says on Dangerous History, it sounds like a Marvel villain or a super villain or something. So I just got to say it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm the host of the History Impossible podcast. Uh, I've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, what else is there to say? Oh, yeah, I, I write over on Substack under historyimpossible.substack.com. I occasionally get stuff written in Queer Majority and Ario Magazine, uh, maybe more in the future. Yeah, I mostly concern myself, though, with the I don't want to say tales of the improbable because that brings to mind UFOs and stuff like that. Something like that. It's more just stuff that people would assume isn't true or just wouldn't assume is true. And I'm here to say, actually, no, it is true. It's pretty crazy, right? So that's pretty much all I am. <laughs> you almost made yourself sound competent. I almost did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost. I, but I, I, I'm a rank amateur, man. Come on. <laughs> it's your name that makes you sound super competent. Exactly. Oh, Jack. <laughs> Jack, please, please. People don't know you, so well. Certainly, certainly not as much as you guys. They don't know me. That's for sure. Uh, Let's make that change. Let's make that change. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Jack. I am the host of the Secret Police podcast. Uh, we look at the history and methods of the world's most brutal secret police forces. Um, and I, man, Alex, your your resume is impressive. I do not, unfortunately, do any Substack stuff. I just do podcasting occasionally. Work your way up, man. Once you get the free time, you know. <laughs> yeah. What free time? 
Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you get into the groove eventually and you're like, oh, I have this much time, you know, after working on this episode for however many hours between then and when I go to bed or whatever, you know, I mean, you're, it's, it's possible. Yeah, exactly. I have to make this joke. Uh, J- Jack's podcast is very good. Uh, the nice man uh, of the KGB told me so. <laughs> and, <you know. laughs> it's true. I mean, I actually just started diving into the NKVD stuff. And uh, like I mentioned on Twitter, I'm really excited to hear, well, excited in air quotes, but I am excited to hear about your take on Beria because he sounds, I mean, I know he was a cuddly man. No, for sure. <laughs> like <laughs> so, a teddy bear. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He kind of looked like one, though, to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I was kind of surprised. Like I before I started my show, I listened to a lot of history podcasts and stuff like that and I was just like very surprised that nobody had really like dedicated a show to secret police. Mm-hmm. I did so much research before starting cuz I was like there's no way nobody has touched this yet cuz like I listen to you guys and I'm like if other history podcasters are even half as competent as these guys, then somebody's definitely already touched this. And I was just like surprised that. Well, dude, you, you carved it out. You carved out the niche. That was a smart move, but I'm surprised too. Honestly, I would think that there would be one, but it's such a good theme. So I was saying this to my friend, Greg Zink from his podcast, which by the way, yep. a great name is, is called smoke filled rooms. Yeah. It's a political true crime podcast. And he did one on Nuremberg and a series on Nuremberg. And then he just recently did a series on Marilyn Monroe on her suspicious death. And we did an almost three hour podcast talking about that. It's coming out actually in a couple of days. So I just, I just listened to his thing about um, Ted Kaczynski about the Unabomber. Oh man. We're yeah. (laughs) A lot of that stuff like was reminding me about your take on the, um, Oh gosh. Now I can't even remember something class. What did, what was it? Oh, the the professional managerial class. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. 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 That's not my idea though. I'm totally cribbing that from much smarter (laughs) people, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and I'm, I'm funny enough. I'm actually going on Greg's podcast soon to discuss the manifesto because it is my favorite way of characterizing uh, Kaczynski's manifesto is it is the most uncomfortable red pilling you'll ever have. Now that, that is to say, what he said in the manifesto, what he did about that. That's a totally different story, Uh, (laughs) but it's one of those things that when you, when you listen to what he has to say, it's kind of like, well, he might've been a little crazy, maybe (laughs) probably, (laughs) but he comrades, comrades, comrades. And, and, and and this is why I normally don't get more than one podcast. Yeah. (laughs) This is what happens when we get together. (laughs) Well, with that said, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a very interesting story, but anyway, I do have to, I do have to, yeah, if we're talking about conspiracies, that's an interesting thing that you started out here. And of course, that was a tangent, but as I was preparing for this episode, and we, we spoke about this before we started recording, today on my Facebook, which I was really surprised because normally on my Facebook, there's Latvians who actually know, and then there are people who listen to my show. And, you know, I, I thought people who listen to my show, well, they are quite well informed about everything. But I saw today a person posting... Um, about how he was just shocked, simply shocked, that the United States had hit another debt ceiling, yet they're still giving money to that Nazi Zelensky. And um, when I asked him, well, where did you hear this stuff? And, and he responded with the fact that he has heard it from reports from Ukraine. I don't know about what reports he's talking about and what, what's going on there, which is why I'm, I'm having you here, here in the show. But uh, I just wanted to let listeners know that I fully responded by telling and explaining to him that here... I have reports from Ukraine, and this is nonsense with explanations. I have no idea what his reaction is going to be, but 
I'm just still extremely stunned because I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. It's kind of, a, in my eyes, it's a clear case of we have a dictator who hasn't had free elections in his country since 2004. And if you've listened to History Impossible episodes with me on about this or anything that I've done, you might have maybe noticed this whole trend about Russia using all this fascist imagery and everything. It, it's quite clear when you look at it that we have a huge empire doing an aggressive stuff towards a smaller nation that's just had their own thing where they, in 2014, overthrew their corrupt government things, and they're trying to build up a nation. And in my case, this is kind of a clear-cut conflict. And Americans have always portrayed themselves as being uh, on the side of liberty and freedom. And I'm pretty sure Jack's going to poke me about that, but at least that's the image that we here in the Eastern Europe see, which America tries to sell the world. And uh, that's one of the things that I say. If, if only America would adhere to their PR image, uh, you know, that'd be a better place. But... But still, guys, uh, please explain to me what's what's going on with this. I have no idea because I'm 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 stuck in in Ukrainian Russian sphere. I don't have time to follow American politics at all. So okay, I just quick. I just want to point out like one economics thing about the debt ceiling is that uh, we continue to have uh, issues with kind of our debate around raising the debt ceiling, and we have for know, the last couple of decades. And uh, those pastimes. We still had to have a discussion about raising it, and Ukraine wasn't an issue in either of those cases. So mm-hmm. it just it seems kind of irrelevant to point out like why are we raising the debt ceiling when we're sending all this money to Ukraine? It's like well we we have to we've we've had to do this uh, in light of Ukraine in the past, so it's kind of a moot point. Right. I've heard far more compelling arguments, and you know just to be clear, like I said, you know before we were recording, I. You know, I think we're all pretty much on the same page regarding this subject, but I am going to try to be as charitable to the people who are being contrarians about this as possible because I think I do get it to a degree up until a point, which I'll get to later. But Well, you said you sound like a villain, so you, you get to defend true. the villain's positions. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm willing to catch flack for that too because uh, you know I, I think it is important to try to understand where everyone's coming from again up until a point. I mean, I think that's where I differ from – well, from a lot of these contrarian folks is that, I mean, I think I mentioned to you, Chris Jobs, that in a message at some point is that like, look, I, I love contrarianism. I mean, that's sort of my thing, but even I have my limits. And at a certain point, contrarianism for its own sake is just kind of obvious and kind of annoying. You better have something to say otherwise. And I don't think a lot of these people who simp for Putin, like ultimately who simp for Putin, have much of a leg to stand on in that regard. But I do understand where they're coming from. Now, with what you were saying, Jack, I, I completely agree with you. The one thing that I think is really funny, though, is that there are people who on the left and the right, because that's the thing, too. This is a far right thing, but it's also a far left thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and uh, we can get into that, too, of course. But it's mostly come from the far left that I've seen a good point being made where someone um, – I think it was Jimmy Dore who's probably the most famous among the people who veers a little too close for my comfort to simping for Putin, but he doesn't really do it as much as some other people do. But he associates with people who do. I don't believe in guilt by association, but it still kind of makes me uneasy. But he has made the point where why are we sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine when we could be funding something like Medicare for all, which I don't think the amount of money that we spend in Ukraine would even scratch the surface of what's required for Medicare for all, even though I do support the notion of having that. Right. But I do understand the rhetorical point. That does make sense. And that's the thing is that I think there is a lot of good faith argument from a sort of nationalist perspective within America to be skeptical of supporting Ukraine, even financially. I understand that. I'm going to give you the counter argument because this is the thing that everyone in Ukraine and the Russian opposition news can respond is that 
it's not like you give Ukraine money directly. A lot of the budget that is allocated to aid Ukraine actually goes for American jobs in the military industry. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. you, you don't give money to Ukraine, you give money to Lockheed Martin and then they produce stuff. Right. And then that stuff goes to Ukraine. So it doesn't all go there. And the amount that you're spending on that is like one percent of your whole military budget. It's like not that not that huge. Yeah. Yeah, our military budget's a little, yeah, it's a little wild. I, I will be the first to say that too. <laughs> but the thing is, you just use the, uh, the LM word, Lockheed Martin or, uh, Raytheon is another example. Like you, those are hot button names. Those are hot button corporations, uh, in our political culture. And I understand why it's, they make weapons, but. At the same time, I also do see what you're saying is that it it materially doesn't necessarily matter all that much in the grand scheme of things in terms of how much money we throw into, well, really everything, but especially our military budget. Yeah, and well, I can't really say bad things about Lockheed Martin. They've advertised on my show once. (laughs) Well, in in Canada, Canada, though, in Canada. Well, I was going to say, that's the evidence that that's all the evidence that the Putin shills need. They're going to say, oh, look, look, he's in the pocket of Lockheed Martin. Of course, he'd support the war in Ukraine. Sadly, I do have to have to say that it it all went for ACOS, the guys who host me. Oh, okay. Because of the thing. And I didn't even control it. It's just that I got reports that um, they they sent PSAs and stuff. But I can like, they did run their shows. And the the second thing that, that, that I've advertised which also people have hated me for which again i had no control over because i don't even know what what's on my ads because i don't hear them they just get inserted automatically <laughs> sure except yeah. on the two ones it was uh, some sort of uh, saudi arabian oil company also <laughs> that, dude what is acas doing to you <laughs> it's 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 like yeah. so you see my, my show is 18 plus uh so yeah, they, they yeah. throw in everything but they did, did ask about some canadian political election ads um some sort of weird parties also advertised. But yeah, that's not the point. That's not the point like about but the far left thing. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, I've noticed that you guys are polarized. At least I seem so from my position, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jack, do you want to comment on that? I mean... <laughs> I'd like yeah. to think of myself as not polarized, but yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. not to you, but uh, but like United States in general. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I've yeah, heard yeah. I've I've heard that you you have some sort of issue with that a little bit, so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's an interesting thing because among my listeners, people who are in different political positions tend to very much hate each other. But to, mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person who likes to listen to good arguments instead of following any, any ideologies everyone who listens to this show know that really yeah mm-hmm. and 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 but but when i look at this and, and like i said I, you can see the tankies oh god uh, by the way to those listeners who don't know the name tankies comes from the united kingdom mm-hmm. it's it comes from the era of of like uh, late stalin i suppose because there are people who thought ussr was the best thing ever some mm-hmm. sliced bread even better than that and uh, these were the people who still supported stalinism and all that stuff even after the tanks started rolling in in hungary after their kind of spring thing so that's why tankies because after tanks rolled in and there yeah yeah it, it's wild to me there are some really weird alliances going on on the internet which you know it's the internet you can, can't overstate its importance but we also can't understate it either but I never thought I would see tankies align with MAGA chuds. I just never thought I would see that. Yeah. It's wild. Now, <laughs> and, for, and for extremely different reasons, right, by the way. Right. This is one thing that I wanted to point out. As I looked into them, uh-huh. and you guys understand it better, and I would like Jack to comment on this a bit too. Yeah. At least from my position, it seems that each of these radical factions, they see Putin and, and Russia in general as supporting their worldview. 
<laughs> so it seems kind of insane. Okay, Russia is this place that does, if you listen to my previous episode, that runs totally contradictory things and, and they run on paradoxes and they're not even ashamed of it. But it's just so strange that someone on the far left could think that, yeah, Putin's totally my guy. He's fighting evil imperialist America. Mm-hmm. And someone on the far right also could say, yeah, Putin's my guy. And the, the crazy thing is that I've seen the propaganda that they've, the both sides are, are being fed. And it's the same thing. It, mm-hmm. They're not reading mm-hmm. different articles. They're reading the same article and just drawing completely different conclusions out completely of them. Completely different conclusions. Yeah. 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 I, 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 was, I just wanted to mention, I have a really interesting quote from your pals at Foreign Policy Magazine, Chris Jobs, but I want to let Jack jump in on this so I don't dominate the conversation here. No, no, no. You're fine. <clears throat> That's probably like, well, I would say in general, sort of my observation is that I see more of the support from the right, not so much the left. And I think mm-hmm. part of that is because Russia is so hostile to the um, uh, LGBTQ community mm-hmm. that I think that really like turns them off from just that regime in general. That's the people who actually are informed. I'm talking because I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter. And on Twitter, you can see a lot of people who are in various minorities who are like these really fringe far left people. Mm-hmm. who believe that that stuff, that Russia is anti-LGBTQ, that that's all Western propaganda. They simply refuse to believe that even. Yeah. Oh, crazy. We're talking about the Chomskyite leftists, really, the really far-left people who um, – they, they the thing is that really sucks about them is that they get a lot of things right. Like they're the ones who actually seem, at least from my view, to sort of understand that – that Russia isn't their ally, but that's not what they're animated by as much as something else. But I want to let you finish, Jack. The other thing I wanted to say is that what I was surprised by is just kind of the the shift in the perception of Russia in general Mm -hmm. that started in 2016, because I thought when it seemed like Trump was being sympathetic at best towards Russia in general, Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, man, any other decade and this guy would have been finished. Uh, But I think we've sort of left the, because Russia isn't technically a a communist state predominantly, Mm -hmm. I think we're out of the era where being friendly towards Russia in one way or another isn't necessarily toxic or a, a career ending move. I can tell you an interesting fact. Obama was much more friendlier to Russia than Trump. Yeah, he was he was accused of appeasing them. Like he was given so much crap for being a Putin apologist or a, a yeah, like he was on his apology tour they called it back then. I can give you an interesting quote that comes from a Russian opposition person from um one, one of my sources in um, in the Moscow Institute. I ah, what what's what's his English name? Well, the one the one that these diplomats in, right? And and he basically stated um that Obama's foreign policies were excellent. They were beautiful. He built this whole web of alliances, and they were intricate and and and, and like very deep. They had just one tiny little issue that they didn't work. Oh, okay. that, that that was kind of the criticism here that he decided to go soft. That that Obama, at least in the eyes of Russian opposition, and I'm giving you only this perspective here, okay? Sure. Because I, like I said, I. Again, I can't comment on American internal politics because I tried to do that at one point and early in my show and understood that I know way too little to even get involved in this. But uh, the trick is that if, if you look at Putin and how he operates, I think Obama kind of fell for the fact that Putin might be a reasonable leader, that he would act like a normal leader person, and he treated him as such. That was his mistake. Trump's problem was the fact that Trump was, well, in general, not a very smart 
<clears throat> not a very clever man. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, ed- take it easy, man. That's a little edgy for this show, even. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I wanted to point out that um, I kind of understand uh, you because you mentioned something that is very key. It's overstated in our country, at least, about the polarization. Uh, but I think it is worth mentioning because I think our politics in America are in a current sort of reactive phase where everything the Democrats do is a response to something the Republicans say or do, and everything the Republicans say or do is a reaction to something the Democrats say or do. And a lot of it is usually driven by online outrage, stuff that doesn't even have anything to do with the actual parties, but then the parties feel the incentive to jump onto the issues that are being highlighted because they seem to believe that all publicity is good publicity. And frankly, to bring up Trump again, he kind of proved that that was true. The only reason he won the election was because people kept covering him and giving him all of this free publicity. I mean, on top of a lot of other factors, but I'm just saying that was a major one. I shouldn't say it's the only reason. But the point is, though, I kind of understand why, for example, a we'll say a right winger like uh, Tucker Carlson. He's relatively normie. I mean, as far as you I mean, he's he's sort of the gateway into the really wild far right stuff on the Internet. He himself is just kind of like a contrarian type. I mean, he's before you move any further, um, please explain to me and my European audience who is Tucker Carlson, because I have no ah, idea. He is the most popular and successful cable news host in the United States. Um, he's on Fox could, News. He's on Fox News. Yeah, he he takes this um, contrarian conservative line. Kind of, I, I don't want to try to characterize him because I don't like when people do that about me, but he's kind of goes in the direction of paleo conservative, somebody who is all about nationalism, strong borders. I guess you could probably say a Protestant work ethic or something like that, but also very anti intervention, very anti war. And here's something that people don't realize about Carlson that I think he does deserve some credit is that this isn't some weird, cynical pivot. He has always been anti-war. He was on MSNBC, which is our sort of resident liberal network here. Yeah. And he's always been a conservative who's been against war. He was very uh, vocally against the war in Iraq back in the 2000s when he was much younger and much less successful, frankly, because to be a conservative against the war in Iraq was a death knell for your career in a lot of cases back then. That was our neocon era. Uh, But now he's kind of taken this new approach, this new identity even – as this hard truth teller who stands up for the little guy, but from the right. And in his case, he has been against this war ostensibly on the principle of like, well, we shouldn't be involved in other countries' affairs. And fair enough. But he does veer a little close to Putin apologia sometimes. Like he very famously was saying uh, towards the beginning of the war, I don't, I don't have the quote off memory, but he said essentially – does Putin want to cancel you for using the wrong pronouns? Does Putin want to, you know, call you a racist and a bigot and a monster? Uh, uh, y- yes, y- yes, he does. You know, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, uh, Peter Zihan when he was on Rogan recently, and whose book I just recently read, um, uh, "The End of the World Is Just Beginning," he was talking about how when they couldn't really make the Nazi thing sell anymore in Russian propaganda, they've kind of reverted to just calling Ukrainians gay demons. <laughs> oh, so. this segue is interesting into into what I really wanted to move on because after all this insanity, I'm I'm really just everyone knows that uh, I'm frenemies with Igor Girkin. He doesn't know I exist. <laughs> he might by now. He, he might. He doesn't speak English like at all. So it's always funny because he likes to quote on his Telegram channels a lot of um, English speaking press. Except he uses Google Translate for all of it. Oh, and geez. I <laughs> pray to God that Google Translate is somewhat accurate because. 
Uh, this is why this this is why I found it extra funny when when uh, his buddies use the Warhammer 40k picture for their <laughs> thumbnail. Because <laughs> a lot of people said that well maybe they like 40. No, they don't. Like, they literally just typed in <laughs> "Evil Empire" in Russian and grabbed the first image and didn't know anything about it. It's just... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the one thing it also connects to was something that was, and this is another thing. Speaking of like it, the far right specifically, that was really swirling around the new right, dissident right Twitter sphere, uh, where they were showing the uh, Ukrainian propaganda, showing uh, the the woods fairies, the very pagan roots of Ukrainian culture and whatnot to sort of show it in opposition to Russia's supposed Orthodox uh, faith. And of course, like as soon as that went up, all of these, like I would say half wit conservative types were saying, look, see they're devil worshipers. They don't even care about Christian values They're And like, they were conflating devil worshiping and pagans, which I was like, okay, now I know that you're just an idiot because you don't know. It was a nationalist thing. Uh, Okay. 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 Now, now I have to answer to this. (laughs) Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're all pagans. If you put a Christmas tree in your house, right? (laughs) You guys can shut up about paganism. I I have a tribe. Okay. I like, I like, I always, always say Latvia and like the Baltics, we were the last pagans of Europe, the last mm-hmm. last guys to be Christianized in Europe. Our administrative divisions are still our old tribal lands. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Our biggest celebration is the Midsummers in the 24th of June. It's so big that even the Catholic archbishop kind of congratulates people on it, even though that's <laughs> a pagan festival with bonfires and drinking beer and eating cheese and, and having a lots of um, fertility rights. Yes. I, I, li- I live in the wrong country. <laughs> <laughs> but the right state, Alex. Yeah, the right state for that. I said, well, I don't know. No, not really. <laughs> that's the thing here. That, that as, as, as Eastern Europe, you know, uh, especially well, Baltics for the most part, but if you look at Ukraine's history as well, and Remember that half of Ukraine was in Lithuania for a sure. long, long, long while and also wasn't Christianized. And the same goes for Belarus. So as the pagan traditions were with us up until, uh, let's see now, Lithuania finally Christianized according to documents like fully only like 15th century. Uh, in, in Latvia, mm-hmm. it was a bit different in Latvia, Estonia, because we were under the Teutonic rule. So we were kind of forced, but the traditions didn't die out until about the same time when people really like it was only after reformation hit until we actually decided to mm-hmm. be christian so all these things are relatively recent paganism in this area is way more recent than for example in, in scandinavia where they christianized much earlier or or like in germany which is like super early days like holy roman empire and such so for us it's a part of who we are it's it's like it is perfectly normal for someone to for example wear clothing with latvian pagan runes on it and celebrate the midsummer fest and go to church every sunday it's it's, it's not considered in any opposition and the fact that Ukrainians use their pagan symbolism for their thing, yeah, that's a part of being a Ukrainian patriot. They are all also Orthodox for the most part. There is no conflict between those things at all, at least here. In- exactly. Well, see, th- that's what I was saying. Well, according to Russian propaganda, there is, though, of course. I mean, I don't want to throw them under the bus. I'm not. I'll get, I'll get to Russian propaganda now because I want to, I want to move to that. Okay, sure, sure. This is going to be a bit prolonged for me, but I've been reading Girkin, watching Girkin, and, and watching all his propaganda bodies, and, and that's the constant thing. Cause, uh, 
the, the one of the mo- most fun parts of my show is that I regularly get sent documents of the most recent instructions from the government to Russian propaganda. That's always a fun segment. And literally, <laughs> the thing that I get the most is um, all this Satan, devil-worshipping, all that mess. The thing is, they use this constantly because they try to orthodoxize everything. And and when they build this new orthodox church for the military, which is always interesting, their special orthodox military church, they wanted to put Stalin next to Nicholas II and their like saints. <laughs> Not even kidding. They wanted to <laughs> because of how they've they've immortalized the great patriotic wars. They call it. They wanted to put that in. And and, and you know, orthodox churches have their reliquaries, right? Where you go and see the relics. And in their military church, one of their relics in the reliquary where you're supposed to go and see, I don't know. Uh, the the collarbone of John the Baptist or whatever like that right they have they have Hitler's cap because that was a trophy huh oh, <laughs> I thought they had his teeth <laughs> I heard they had his skull I mean there's all those there's all those rumors from after the war yeah no that's a that's a rumor they definitely have Hitler's cap in the church in the Orthodox Church oh that's a great place to keep Hitler's hat. Yeah, and I've, to- I've been told by actual Orthodox people that that's considered super heretical because the reliquary part is supposed to be, you mm-hmm. know, kind of. You don't put stuff that is trophied from your enemies in the reliquary. You put stuff that's actually sacred. You also don't build a statue of a man who made it his mission to destroy your faith. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> that too. Orthodoxy in Russia has switched away from being a religious thing so far mm-hmm. that it's been politicized. And right now, yeah, they, they, they truly hate America because, and it's also because of sort of racist reasons, mm-hmm. because again, of paradoxes, they don't believe Ukrainians are a nation at all. They believe that they are just brainwashed Russians. And at the same time, they're evil, evil Jewish Nazis, because <laughs> Jewish Nazis are a thing for Russians. And gay Not demons. And gay demons. Remember that. Yeah. <sighs> it goes to the point where even Gidkin and his friends who are, mostly logical about their military tactics when they when they veer into the political spectrum then they uh, might as well you know uh, i bet i bet they have dugin's portrait on the wall somewhere it's, it's just <laughs> oh, that bad um the, the fact is that they literally don't believe that ukrainians drive their own tanks because ukrainians are so dumb and so brainwashed they couldn't do it so they firmly believe that every volunteer that comes from wherever is a NATO mercenary and NATO is actually at war because Russia losing to Ukraine kind of looks bad and doesn't doesn't work well for this mighty empire. So obviously tanks are piloted by Americans and and uh, Germans and whatever, and it's it's kind of this weird attitude and the way that they um and those people let me remind you they don't speak English then they, they've never been to America at all a lot of them mm-hmm. and um, they they somehow believe uh, for one they do believe that your government is way more competent than you actually are especially cia Uh, they they, they, i mean we 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 get stuff done it's just not very well (laughs) that's that's how i like to put it first of all they do believe that cia can pull off major major control operations without a hitch right i was gonna say have they never heard of the bay of pigs like (laughs) yeah like what the hell (laughs) or the drug war or the drug war for that matter Well, it depends on how how you it depends on how you want to define success though with a drug war. So, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. No, no, they haven't. The, the worst part is, which is what I want Jack to comment on, is the fact that they somehow correlate black people with the United States, which has recently caused an increase of racist attacks in Russia, because Russia, surprisingly enough, does have black people in, in in there because of educational stuff and because of historical reasons. See, Moscow Olympics happened, and after that, a bunch of uh, black people were born in Russia because Olympics is a 
fun giant orgy for the athletes yeah. as well. You probably. <laughs> and and secondly, is Soviet Union did their anti-colonization thing, which they claim to be against colonialism. So they took a bunch of people from Angola and and all these places, which still were colonies of Europe and what was for sphere, and basically. Uh, dragged a bunch of people, just offered them chance to study in, in um, the Soviet Union, which was a great thing, except they also kind of vetted a lot of them and got them to join the nice little men in the KGB and also installed a bunch of dictators afterwards. You know, they decolonized the African nation, turned it into a bit of a mess afterwards. You know, stuff happens. But currently, first of all, they're, they're racist towards people from the Caucasus, which is why Kadyrov is so dangerous to them. And secondly, like I said, they somehow point out how many black people they've killed in an attack to note that only because we don't have any black people in our army, it must be NATO soldiers. But the problem is that I know for a fact that for a while there were only two black volunteers in Ukraine. And one of them is now moved back. That was, I, I forgot his name. There was this really famous guy. He was also like on Twitter or something. And there was another medic. So they've often claimed that the at least in the early months of the war, like it was June, I think that's early months now, they claimed that they've blown up a building and like 200 black people were there. <laughs> and at one point, they uh, literally just, literally every, even like official, official Ministry of Defense uh, statements came out with the fact that uh, we bombed this and this and this many Ukrainians died and this many black people died. I have a question before we continue. Um, are, are they saying this? I mean, I guess maybe we can only speculate, yes. but are they saying this because... They think that if we make it sound like we're killing a lot of Americans, like American mercenaries, that's going to boost morale of Russian troops. Huh. And they're just leaning into like racism. No, 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 this, the racism part comes towards Ukrainians and towards black people, because obviously, okay. like I said, they uh, they're not doing well against Ukraine and they can't be not doing well against Ukraine. That looks bad. Mm-hmm. It's much better to lose the United States and NATO than it is to kind of fare bad against Ukraine. But the, the, this mm, very fact that okay. um, it, it, it also remains from the, the Soviet era, because in the Soviet era, that was the standard response, standard criticism of America. Like, if any American pointed out any flaws in the, in the Soviet Union, there was this saying, which, uh, okay, I'm going to say this, say this in Russian first. Look, in, in Russian, that's a perfectly normal word, and it's exactly a quote. It's a quote, okay? Just don't draw it out of context. Avinyegrav <laughs> linchuitsi. <laughs> You lynch black people. That was the standard response towards anything, like with a pause. Yeah. Well, you have economical issues, dot, 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 but you do this. Mm-hmm. That was the standard response to everything. So they they played out this card constantly that they're super tolerant and, and super friendly. And they tried to be that on the official level, but it totally broke down. Well, to be perfectly fair, though, to them, I just need to point this out because I, I feel like I'll be lynched if I don't point this out. A lot of um, that was that was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I couldn't say it. I could not say it. Come on. Thank you. I, I get official African-American yeah. approval. <laughs> I'm an ally now. You get a stamp. A lot of American leftists back in the day did fall for that line. So and, and I would imagine at least some black liberation activists probably fell for it, too. I'm just making the point that, like, it, it, it's animated by what I think animates just to relate this to what we were talking about before. What unites the left and right right now, the, the populists, we can call them more broadly on the Ukraine question, is just a fervent anti-Americanism. Right. And that's what matters most. Because I, I know all these facts that have mentioned this on my show, but I see a lot of people who claim to defend the global south, these kind of black activists and all these minorities, and they are somehow pro-Putin because they hate America so much. I kind of don't get it. Have, like, 
I understand America has a lot of issues right now. Why would you turn towards someone like Putin to defend your sort of values? And and I don't see them being friendly to, I suppose, China, if they like it. What's what's your take on this situation, Jack? Oh, boy. I was going to say, China's a whole different thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a whole different, that's a whole different thing. Well, I was going to say, like, with the whole, like, the saying that you had, uh, Christophs, is that um, I believe the Germans during the Second World War kind of did the same thing, especially towards, like, blasting propaganda about how badly black people were treated in the United States to all black um, units or regiments during the Second World War. And to me, it just seems like, you know, it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, obviously... I think anybody that knows anything about this country kind of understands that that is the whole slavery thing and just kind of the treatment of black people in this country afterwards has been less than ideal, (laughs) less than ideal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's just like, and that's not, I mean, I, I, I do feel thankful to be living here, but it's just like for anybody else that wants to like point something else, something out about us. uh, I mean, that's, It's kind of hard not to. It's uh, the elephant in the room when it comes to. It really is the elephant in the room. And it's not a white elephant either. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, I really hate the use of the term original sin, but that's just because I have an allergy to (laughs) Christian iconography in that sort of sense. I mean, I also think it's kind of reductive, but I do think I think we should be calling slavery specifically and Jim Crow by extension um, and the end of Reconstruction. We should call those the elephants, the elephants in the room. And I and I think that the way it gets approached in this country is already toxic enough. Yeah. We don't need Putin mucking around in that. But the thing is, I think because it's so toxic, that might explain your question, Chris Jobs, is the the reason why these activist types are turning to Putin or at least turning away from America and pointing to Putin as a less bad alternative is because the conversation about race in this country is so toxic overall toxic yeah. and we we our culture just i don't see us as a nation having any sort of collective reconciliation with that i just don't think anybody's really in the right place to be open to that sort of thing whatever that may look like and it's interesting that russia a country that like us have some sort of reconciliation about their proclivity towards dictatorships is taking advantage of the fact that we haven't had any sort of reconciliation either so i i just find that interesting yeah but that's that's what they do because russia's general attitude towards everything i mean why they claim that they can use nuclear weapons and all this stuff and and why they claim this war is justified is the fact that look america did this evil fact which is which is unspeakable and terrible and evil they also like to point out that nato bombed serbia but i've been to sarajevo and all those places and let me tell you milosevic was no saint I was going to say that's another thing that, that that's the first thing that lost me on those people because they like to blame NATO for the genocide that happened. You no, know? no, no, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing that they, they like to what they like to do is like they like to point out that America did this thing, which was very bad and very evil. They criticize it. Like, look at America. America's evil because they did this X thing and they can point anything out. And then they use that as a justification why they can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Although they literally have been just claiming that that thing is terrible and evil and awful. Yet at the same time, they use it as an excuse and, but we can do that also. So it, it, I, I find it kind of very hypocritical because you can either say, okay, you did this. So it's okay that we do it as well. 
or you can claim it to be evil and reprehensible, right? But they do both all the time, and that's. But doesn't that fit into like Putin's sort of like attitude? His um, I forgot the name of it, but the the sort of like prison gangster right. attitude. Whereas like lying yeah, is expected, yeah, yeah. and hypocrisy doesn't matter. Like hypocrisy is a very um. This, this is something that's really interesting. I've been reading this book called "The Weirdest People in the World" by Joseph Henrik. And the really interesting finding that he seems to be suggesting is a lot of stuff that us Westerners like me and Jack take for granted. And I think actually it's gotten to Latvia, it sounds like, which is a concern with hypocrisy, uh, is a very Western thing. And I don't know what, what the deal is with Russia, but I know that in China, I can speak for that, hypocrisy is not a big deal. It's it's not good, but it's not something that animates the Chinese imagination compared to the American imagination, for example. I don't even think it animates us. I mean, interesting. Um, okay. Oh gosh, I'm saying this, and I can't think of. I mean, just look at look at Congress. I mean, like, well, okay, in that sense, yeah, for sure. It's like as long as like the bad guys are being hypocritical, we're aghast. But if the good guys are hypocritical, we're able to explain it away. I'm just that's what I mean by animating. It's like it doesn't we're not consistent with it. Don't get me wrong. Some right. people are, but very few, I think. Right. But I think it's like we shouldn't be explaining things away, even if it's to our advantage, because I'll, I'll just point out an example that, that'll, that'll touch you both very personally. See, if we make a single factual mistake on our show or misspeak at some points, we get three tons of emails saying how stupid we are, how unqualified we are, whatever. But there's a man that invades another country. <laughs> I expect it. Yeah, no, it's it, the um the the ideological blinders on a lot of people knows no bounds when it comes to the hypocrisy question. And I I, I make the generalization just to suggest that maybe that's what's going on with Putin, where it's like he doesn't care if he's hypocritical because it doesn't not just because he's a dictator i'm sure that plays a part of it too but also because that's just not in his moral like universe whereas in america i think it's much more we're much more rooted in the ideas of hypocrisy and consistency even when we inconsistently apply them which we always do i have so i have a couple examples so here's some recent ones so uh, the whole notion of my body my choice so oh good that's a good one just grab this can of gasoline here and throw it on the fire uh, <laughs> notion of taking like what pro choice people would say like my body my choice in terms of being able to have access to abortions was totally turned on its head by people that didn't want to take a vaccine or wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And I think in that sense, it, to me in recent years, it seems like hypocrisy for us as a culture doesn't seem to matter. And this, I think the same could apply mm -hmm. for all the rioting that happened in 2020, because apparently when it was anti-maskers that were out in the streets protesting, yeah, that was a problem. Yeah, it was unsafe. But when people, especially in Minneapolis, were like out actually burning things down, that was okay. Well, you're speaking directly to my heart right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I mean about, or what I was trying to say earlier about how I don't think hypocrisy necessarily matters to us as much as as much as we think it does. <laughs> I think it's a cultural value we've had for a while that's just been unraveling. And I think COVID probably accelerated that. I'm not one of those, let's blame Trump for everything people. I'm sure he kind of did. But there was a great headline. I forgot what publication it was, which is because everyone always pointed out how dishonest Trump was. And you're not going to get an argument from me, but it was a great headline, which is Trump may be a liar, 
but he's uh, not inconsistent and so, or he's not a hypocrite. It's like he may be a liar, but he's not a hypocrite. I'm sure people can point out how he's a hypocrite. I, I don't care. The point is he presented himself as somebody who was like he's willing to lie flagrantly, but he's not going to go against the values he professes. That was the image he sold of yep. himself. And I think that's one thing that made him so popular. I'm Again, I'm sure those examples, those examples do not matter for the purposes of what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in preventative for the deluge of emails you're going to get, Chris Jobs. It's, it's fine. I get a lot of emails anyways. Like Lafayette in this sense, again, we're super pagan. I, I think I have to quote Daryl Cooper's early episodes from, from Palestine. We're, we're an honor culture, so to speak. So for, for us, if you're found to be hypocritical, that can cause a prime minister to lose his spot mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. lose elections because, like I said, we're, we're an honor-based culture in, in many, 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 many ways. There's there's always this loyalty and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this, this is why I can't really understand how and why people can can be this way for me if, for example if i would just making this show about ukraine and i wouldn't wouldn't be actually going there then a lot of Latvian listeners for example would point at me and say well you have no rights to speak about this because you haven't been there and all this stuff because you have to put your money where your mouth is that's the thing in Latvia all the time i think america has that too though i mean to a degree probably lesser Lesser degree, but I would imagine like because we did kind of have that during the war on terror at its peak years of people criticizing the war in Iraq, for example, and then a lot of people usually on the right saying, well, what do you know? You didn't sign up. You didn't volunteer. You should volunteer before you start talking about that sort of thing. But again, it, it does seem to be, as Jack, you were pointing out, very convenient for the side that's being, you know, that's making that point. Talking about America, by the way, we still have um, we have one politician that, that we actually really felt we actually loved here in Eastern Europe. We really miss John McCain. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, because he was kind of like the Eisenhower of our era because he had a memory of a previous world that no longer exists. He knew where Baltics were. He knew where Ukraine was. And, and he actually visited that. And he was very well informed about everything happening here. And he knew the risks about Russia. And if you look at earlier clips when McCain talks about Russia and what Putin's going to do. Yeah. And as far as I get it, he's much more mourned here in these parts. Like, they named a major street in Kiev after him. No kidding. Yeah. So I uh, probably voted against him in in, uh, 08, but now I'm just thinking, oh, man. (laughs) I couldn't vote in 08. I wasn't 18. (laughs) No, no, no. He's he's, old. I'm the oldest one here. (laughs) I turned 30 in like two weeks. So, Oh, congratulations. Adulthood. (laughs) You shall be able to vote in ancient Athens. Exactly. (laughs) It's a good thing I live in ancient Athens then. Turning 30 is the the part of your life when when back pain becomes a real thing and it starts aching and random moments in, in your life. I threw out my back because Ooh. I reached for something. <laughs> that was my first. So, so, so you're like, I inhaled wrong and I had a hernia. Yeah, yeah that's, what, that's what I'm turning 37 <laughs> later this year. So that's yeah, that, that's the reality of my life. Uh, now. I'm 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 I, I'm I'm 30. I'm 33. <laughs> I, th- I think we have lost all of our eight, all of our audience that were like 60 yes. and below completely at this point. Um <laughs> Hello there, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Eastern Border. Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going, and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. 
Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters, every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables, and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. I've always found this this weird because America and Russia in a lot of senses, in a lot of senses, you guys are very similar. And and let me let me finish this one because you guys actually have a lot more in common with Russia than you do with Western Europe. Personal belief. Because one our plastic bags. <laughs> plastic That's one thing. <laughs> it's a pretty big thing. You have listened to my show, comrades. <laughs> of course I have. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just plastic. It's, it's, it's the bags and bags. It's the, it's it's the, the bags and plastic bags. Yeah. <laughs> practical attitude towards everything. And in a way, you're, Russia is a religious country, at least it claims to be, and a lot of people are. You're, you're also a religious country, way more religious than most people in Europe. And we claim to be too. Then, then yeah. again, I don't know. Baltics currently are... For, for weird reasons, we are uh, among most atheistic countries on planet Earth. Literally no one else is. It's not as bad here as it is in Estonia. In Estonia, 57% uh, call themselves atheists. Wow. In Latvia, in Latvia, it's about 47%. So Yeah, yeah I think here we're... <laughs> well, I don't know about... Atheist is still pretty low here. It's still like, I think, in the single digits. Pretty low single digit, like 6 or 7% yeah, or something. And- but non-religious has been going up for years. But we're a very religiously motivated people i would say if, yeah like there's a great book i recommend everybody read called strange rights by tara isabella burton where she talks about how we live in a quote-unquote godless world now especially within the, the millennial and generation z cohort but i just wanted to point out that we do have a lot of religious faith when it's just not traditional religion is all i'm saying you also have your imperialist tendencies but they kind of play out in different ways R- russia kind of earns its evil imperium title you guys are more like a a hegemony of things kind of you, that's a good word i, I yeah. think so at least you're, you you try to try to be nice and we haven't always been though i mean but, but yeah but at least you know, for, for us here in the baltics we're, we're good we're good but the thing is the thing yeah. is um, and i want to switch over to china because i i have to and and we and we can make the show up as long as we want, uh, Anna is going to hate me for it, but whatever. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she's going to hear that. <laughs> no, nah, it's fine. The uh, thing is, Russia has also a very interesting attitude towards China. They really expected China to save them during this year, but at the same time, they hate the Chinese because of the Far East. Since I, I've mentioned this on one of my earlier episodes, definitely not before the war. See, in a lot of land in Siberia has been rented through corrupt governors. They rent out one square kilometer of land 
with resource like you can like dig up you can chop up all the trees and dig out everything that's underneath with it you can do whatever and they do for about two dollars per square kilometer per year for 99 years and that's a huge like the difference about how much of siberian uh, like forests down there especially next to lake baikal have been chopped up is just ridiculous what the chinese do is that they actually have very strict laws about their own pesticides but russia doesn't have them so a rich chinese person would buy up a bunch of land next to Lake Baikal and just make his own farm there and just poison the land with all the pollutants and just sell off the tomatoes and send his people, like his family, extended family uh, to live there. So in a way, they, they view China as this big friend, but at the same time, they are afraid to becoming a vassal of China because Russia has a lot of resources and a lot of territory, but not that many people. And the population number is like, even, even in their official numbers, when I was growing up, like in the 90s, it was 100, 147 million. Now it's 140 million, but it's way less than that because those are the official numbers. And uh, their listeners, you might understand, and uh, I know Jack definitely knows, is that if you read any Soviet source written by the Soviets themselves, then more important than what the source says is knowing what the source doesn't say. Reading between the lines is, is a super important skill for anyone who even tries to understand what's happening in the Soviet Union, especially when it comes to any state agency. And that has carried over. Perfect. But at the same time, they are super racist towards the Chinese. I mean, Putin likes to be friends with him, yet he gave Z a Winnie the Pooh as a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Plush toy. Did they have it checked for a microphone and a camera? Oh my god! <laughs> I kind of like Putin now. I'm sorry to say, Chris Jobs. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. No, no, no but he he does that. I mean, uh, Angela Merkel was afraid of dogs, so he literally brought these huge dogs to that thing. He brought his dog. I do remember that. I, I'm sorry. There's something about that I can't help. There, there's a little wink and a smile in there. The implications, broadly speaking, are horrifying because it shows how little he cares for other people. But yeah, he does. He does because he gave Z uh, two bags of honey, oh, like two geez. pots of honey. <laughs> <laughs> tiny little, tiny little bear attached to him. I did not know this. That is amazing. I can see like, like, like he, like he gives she the the honey, and she just like looks absolutely pissed. But his like advisors are like behind him, like really trying not to laugh. And then as soon as, yeah, then she, like no, 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 don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, and she like turns around, and they all just like go like like they. They yeah. all disappear from the from the from the next group photo. They're all gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. On this note, there's there's an even better one because you know Steven Siegel is now a Russian citizen, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But he also visited Belarus. I've never heard him called Steven Siegel before, but I think I'm going to start calling him that from now on. <laughs> what? That's I heard. I've heard Steven Siegel. <laughs> Steven Siegel. With, no Z Siegel, like with the Z for with the the. I like, have no idea. I, I I'm sorry. I I just pronounce him. I never have heard actually. Someone native pronounced it's, uh, his name. So it's just, it's, oh no, it's okay. Yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, no. I just, I just, I, I we like that he's called Steven Seagull because he's a complete fucking joke here. Frankly, <laughs> I, I thought he was hilarious in the Onion movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Alex. I have not. No. Oh, okay. He went to Lukashenko to Belarus because some Putin likes to send some people to his vassal country to do things. And Lukashenko decided that the most important thing to do with this, this actor, a guy who doesn't even speak Russian and is sort of this cultural ambassador, he, he took him to some sort of one of their kolkhoz and they literally chopped wood together. Then he gave St Steven Seagal. I can't say it. He's Steven Seagal, whatever. Okay. Then, Let's call him Seagal. Yeah. I, I, I like Seagal. I prefer Seagal. Yeah. Yeah. 
Then he gave him carrots, like literally plucked from the ground and washed, saying that, look, these are Belarusian carrots. They're super healthy and stuff. They, they filmed him and he looked at the carrot, like literally given to him by Lukashenko. And, and everyone expected him to eat it. But that, that took him like five minutes to understand that, that people wanted him to eat it. So, so that was the most awkward. <laughs> so awkward. That was the most. That was the most awkward, uh, awkward bite of a carrot that I've ever seen in my life. It's somewhere on the internet. She, she would have been like, "Well, at least you got carrots. I get these two fucking honey pots out of this." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I had a thought actually about the. Um, this is just to to bring us back. I mean, as much as I love making fun of both Putin and Chi, um, and Steven Siegel, uh, I. I have to wonder if one reason why China has been holding off is – I'm sure there's many reasons, but one is the impression I have that even though she has been consolidating his power for a long time now, I think about a decade, give or take, a few years, um, he only recently really secured his power like the end of last year when he secured his third term, which he then abolished term limits if, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I know they're having protests and everything, right? Like, right, because of they, their dumb zero COVID policies that were killing more people than I think they might have intended. But the thing is that a lot of people are dying of COVID now, especially because they've been so closed off for two years. They have, what is it, two or three new variants over there? And they're letting people fly internationally, as far as I know. So, yeah. yay, we get to find out what these new variants are like soon. Well, I'm safe. No one flies to latvia anyways no one, yeah 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 but you, we live in america okay so we're kind of stuck with them <laughs> but yeah i, I smell so- americans uh, american like what was this normally people say eurocentrism about my show but what is this american centrism what is going on oh yeah well that the funny thing about america centrism is that again is what animates the people who are putin simps they are america first but they like to believe america is the worst thing in the world It's masochistic nationalism, as the sociologist Joran Adamson talked about. It's pure masochistic nationalism. I emailed him about that, and he was like, 100%. That's exactly what's going on. Putin always goes around claiming that he's making this multipolar world. Totally taken taken from Dugan, right from Dugan's fucking mouth. What everyone here knows that multipolar in this sense means just like Soviet Union is multipolar. You see, you had you had free Poland and free East Germany and free Bulgaria and free Romania <laughs> yeah. around you. What are you talking, comrade? <laughs> what, we, oh, we influencing geez. anything? No, 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 no. Those tanks are just for show. You know, you you not like tank? <laughs> you not like tank? <laughs> no, we don't like tank. <laughs> well, too bad you get tank, comrade. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I completely like... I am ambivalent about the idea of a multi of a truly multipolar world. I don't like the idea of a hegemon, like whether it's the United States or anybody. But the thing is, like you're saying, what he's saying when he says multipolar, again, taking it from Dugan's mouth first. But second, he's just saying that because he wants to increase Russia's standing in the world and decrease the America standing. It has nothing to do with equalizing anything. I mean, he's certainly not doing a very good job about increasing their standing. Well, no. No. (laughs) Well, and that's what I'm wondering is like maybe like she is recognized and it really is just she because it is a very – it's not even just a one-party state anymore. It's a a straight up neo-fascist personality cult or turning – or he's trying to turn it into one and I don't know how well that's turning out because like you mentioned – uh, one of you guys said mentioned the protests going on. Like, yeah, without question, it's not going well for him. Uh, I have to ask, uh, Jack. Maybe you know this too, because uh, for disclosure to the listeners, both me and Jack have Chinese people in our family, right? Yep, that is correct. 
Yeah, so we're so we're both a little more cued in, at least to people talking on WeChat, at least. Right. Uh, and did, has there has there been any update on what was going on shortly before she basically abolished the term limits, escorted the old party member out really awkwardly? I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, that was, was that who? I think it was Hu Jintao or, Hu Jintao, or somebody yeah. else. Yeah. It was somebody like that, and it was really awkward because he's this old, frail old man, and these like guys in these young men in suits and and face masks were like gently but firmly lifting him up by his arms to get him to leave and she was just ignoring it yeah and she wouldn't look at him yeah. it was it was very reminiscent of the saddam hussein taking power in 1979 or 73 whatever it was uh scene that you can still look up on youtube uh I keep referencing that but it's such a crazy video but anyway yeah like there was that whole column of military vehicles heading towards beijing while at the same time airlines were being canceled left and right I have no idea what that was, if that was just a coincidence, if it was COVID related, or if it was putting it in place in case there was going to be some sort of like internal coup. I don't know. I'm I'm one. I'm actually asking though, like did, did at least Jack, did you see anything updating on that? Cause I know Chris Jobs, I shared that story with you when it was happening and I never saw a follow up. No, so, I only, I was only aware of the, of Hu Jintao being escorted out. I did not okay. know about the tanks and the plane. I, so one thing just about she, just one thing I want to throw out there is that if, I don't know if you guys have listened to the, the Prince, it was a podcast that the economist came out with. No, not that long ago. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, the, the journalist is Sue Lin, Wong, but in that show, I think I think it's that one. She says that uh, she, for all his power grabbing in recent years, he's pretty risk averse. Mm-hmm. Apparently, um, I don't have any evidence to that. No one at all, does but, outside um, of perhaps that. Yeah, no. perhaps that's part of the reason why he's been reluctant mm-hmm. to really like put forth any like real military support for Russia because he probably, and honestly, he probably knows that this whole thing is so stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it puts them in a tough position. Yeah. I mean, you can say a lot of things about G, but he is definitely power hungry and very ambitious, but I can, I can, I I can know for sure that he's, I respect him in the same way I respect Stalin. He's definitely a very smart man. He's much, he's much less crazy than Putin, right? He's, he's not crazy at all. He's, yeah, he's, he's very calculated. He's, Mm-hmm. That, that's why we, we need you feel kind of safe about China because Z really just wants. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to buy their goods all the time. He wants their goods to go somewhere. So mm-hmm. China, they, they're going to mess around in their Asian sphere, and my Japanese listeners are going to hate me for this. But China wants to dominate Asia, and to be frank, no one in EU cares about that. We should probably, but the thing is that there's because of all the diplomacy and everything, and even though that's why Lithuania, for example, was such an outlier, because Lithuania is one of the, one of the very few countries which actually have an embassy of Taiwan. Oh, in their boy. Country. Okay. <laughs> now, now they have like a deal with about microchip production or something, mm-hmm. but they're the only EU country that actually stands up for Taiwan. Everyone else, including Latvia, is super kind of... We're, we never say anything bad about China. We're, we're super careful about China because in, in a way we... Um, China also invested in quite a lot of businesses here in a bit, but Chinese people are always, they, they know about our peers of communism in Eastern Europe, you know, about that stuff. So they, they, they always, whenever China comes up and everything, they always try to remind us that we are not the Soviet Union. We want to just do business. Like they are, um, as far as I've heard from our diplomatic circles, I've heard a lot of people say that, okay, China is a problem for the United States because you're competing, but for EU and especially Eastern Europe and everything here, we're not seeing China as a competitor. 
because China has let us vaguely know that, hey guys, you you don't worry, you don't get into this, you, you'll be fine. We have no interest in you. You you do you. You just buy our products. It's fine. It's fine. That's our hypocrisy, I suppose. We're we're pro European values and all that stuff. Meanwhile, no, literally only only Lithuania is doing things with Taiwan. Everyone else is just. Yeah. Well, Taiwan is a is a complicated issue. I was just going to say the thing about Chinese culture that does kind of lend itself to what you're saying is that the the value of commerce is put at a premium above all else. Now, she is a bit of an ideologue and he's a bit of an imperialist in a lot of ways too. And as I understand it, guys, guys, I just realized we are going to be on so many lists after this podcast. Well, yeah, and I have to be <laughs> yeah. I have to, I'm being very careful with what I say because I do have family in China. I'm just saying that to be clear. Uh, but, uh, I, and I, and I don't, but, uh, my sister, my sister keeps saying she wants to go at some point, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, not anytime right, soon, yeah. but I'm like, I don't know. Like if you, I don't know after the stuff that I've, uh, that I've said, probably not going to be able to go. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, we, we acknowledge the Winnie the Pooh thing. So I think we're screwed. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, the thing about Taiwan though, that I, as I understand it, she has had it in his ambition. His number one ambition is to retake Taiwan. And a lot of that has to do with history, of course, because it's sort of seen as a mop-up operation as far as the Chinese Communist Party ideologues would believe, because it's essentially getting revenge on Chiang Kai-shek's ghost, which I get, actually, to be honest. I kind of get that. Now, it gets more complicated because of things like the treaty that the United States signed with Taiwan many decades ago, pledging to intervene if China ever invaded. And we can see that from the American side of things, we're trying to we were trying to send the message to Xi to say that hey, uh, we do still take that treaty seriously. When they sent Nancy Pelosi over there, and then somebody else from our government, Jack, maybe you remember, uh, went to Taiwan recently too to sort of and and it was unprecedented because it hadn't happened in decades. And I think it was very clearly a saber rattling move, and it was a way of threatening Xi with saying, hey, don't try. Like, don't try with Taiwan what Putin tried with Ukraine, because we'll sanction your ass, too. And while I do think he overstates the danger, Peter Zion has pointed out that if we sanction China, it will probably result in a famine that he says will kill 500 million people. I don't think it's going to be that bad, but it wouldn't be good if we did that. So and not it's not something I could support, obviously. No, no. I think Russia's invasion, it just it, how it's gone is showing she that uh well one that using the military to gain territory these days may not be the best thing to do but also just to remind him of sort of like the international backlash that could occur but it's definitely different with china because because they're so intertwined in everything i mean it's just amazing to me hearing the stories about like um basketball players that get shunned or like can't speak out against china because their teams have business deals or something like that there's some sort of china connection so they're prohibited from really saying anything against the the chinese communist party and if it's they have that much control on that sort of micro level then sanctioning china which would be something that affects all of us would be i think i think much more complicated than sanctioning Russia. The economic relationship between China and America is very complicated. Yeah. 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 But that's the worst part. And that's the worst part. Until last year, 24th of February, I wouldn't ever think that such a thing would be possible. But 
Uh, I've mentioned this on every previous episode Alex has been in, and I have to say this again. I truly feel that on that day, uh, an era ended, an era that started on the 20s, uh, there started on 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed. And from the collapse of the Soviet Union till the start of this war, we had, I don't even know how to call this. Because the Cold War ended, and this was after a Cold War sort of period, and now it's over, and now we live in some bizarro times. We live in those times of, in history where literally anything can happen, I suppose. At this point, we shouldn't really be surprised. I mean, we could call this the era of deglobalization. That's one theory that I've seen floated out there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I, I find that hard to believe, though. Yeah. Talking about that, talking about that, I wanted to mention this about the United States getting back again. Um, reason why a lot of Russian people hate America and why a lot of older people who grew up in Soviet era still kind of look weird at minorities and black people here. And we recently have an influx of black and, and people in Latvia in numbers. We now have more than 10. We used to have just literally 10. And now we have about 100 or so. Wait, seriously? <laughs> only yeah. had about 10. Okay. That's a new one. <laughs> we, we had like about 10 for a while. Now we have about 100. China probably had more than you did. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just super weird. But, but currently... I understand, I kind of spoke of this and understood the fact that it's kind of America's globalization fault in a way. Because think about this I'm lucky to have traveled around, but a lot of people haven't because they don't speak the language. Kind of hard. Like my grandma visited the United States. She visited, um, what was this? Uh, Milwaukee? Yeah, where her kind of. To say Midwest is where most Latvians ended up, right? No, because Milwaukee was like some place where, where uh, she. I was like nine at the time, and my grandma didn't speak any English whatsoever. Okay. So she just went through all the security that was like back in the 90s with like literally, she had cards sent to her over from there, which to show the security guys and everything and to show the passport control. And that wouldn't fly these days at all. People who don't know English, I mean, I, I've been through your passport control. I've, I've spent four hours in JFK uh, Airport, okay? So, oh, I have two. I, uh, I spent two. So, yeah. Oh, you got lucky. I did get lucky. It was late night. It was. But the thing is, the thing is that the, the fact that how many people, including Russia, because American culture is everywhere, you know how these people get information about like black people? The only information, the probably standard Russian, only black people that, that he's seen comes from gangster videos. Okay, stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah great representation. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it, it is. So, yeah. so, 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 so you basically, you see basketball players and gangster app. That's it. Okay. <laughs> that, well, I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it, but that's how a lot of white Americans see black people too. I'm just, I, that's a little cheap jab, but it's also not untrue. <laughs> and that, that's the same with, with like 
also in other minorities as well. Because in the end, I, as I see it personally, and I, I've thought about this a lot, uh, about why we actually have this kind of misunderstanding is the fact that we all, it's basically the fear of the unknown, I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, sure. once, once, you, once you get to talk to someone, then you understand that actually, you know, they're, because if you don't know someone and you see only them, them like portrayed in a certain light, then, then you can be fed anything about them. Then you can, then you believe any lies, whatever. But when you should talk to them and you understand that, hey, they, they're just, just as worried as you are about, you know, paying their next bill or, or how much the gasoline costs for your car. It instantly turns a person who might have some xenophobic, racist views, at least as far as I know, because my, my dad used to, used to be that way. Talk to these people and, you know, it shifts around because this I highly unless you manage to hit that one percent because sadly one of those ten percent in Latvia who was black was one of the kids of the like I mentioned the, the university Soviet Union invitations over we have a national Bolshevik who's a fan of Dugin his name is Ayobenes right so in Latvia besides that the black people were represented by a national Bolshevik you know the the ultra far right guys slash far left guys who hate everything. Excuse me, Chris Jobs. <laughs> they're fourth positionists. Okay, it's totally different. <laughs> they, they they have a Nazi flag except replaced swastika with a hand grenade. But yeah. After that, I had to introduce some of my listeners to my dad who visited to make him be less racist. Because <laughs> <laughs> have you had your dad on your show? Uh, no, but I've, I've used his stories though, because, okay. but, but, but the, the thing is now, not, you know, he, he, he's, he's gone through a lot of health issues, a lot of them, uh, nearly died soon as well, but like, you know, now, now he's okay, but, but he used to be like, and I kind of, under, you know, it's hard to talk to these people and no matter what you say, your racist uncle or something, that won't change his mind. But like, at least here in Latvia, because no one had spoken to this yeah what it really took was some of my listeners visited Ludza at some point and then i took them to meet my dad and and they spoke russian which was interesting because they're also from this, this program or whatever and now he turns out then, then then he looked at me and said well holy shit i was wrong mm-hmm. it's a language problem sometimes i was gonna say and that is why i believe that uh why having you guys on the show and talking about all this stuff is the fact that you can actually change people's minds you, you can you just have to be patient and nice and polite, and then you can do that. And you also have to understand that not everyone who thinks different from you, like who has different opinions from you, is your enemy at all. Like they just might be misguided. That is also an opinion. The fact that a lot of people these days presume that just because someone thinks different from you, that they're evil already and instantly and are totally repairably damaged, I think that's an issue. But okay, that that was a philosophical tangent. I hope I hope I hope you guys don't hate me. No, no, no. But just open. But the it's still kind of. Um, I would I would say that it's still kind of an open question regarding Kanye West, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's after the thing. I mean, I, I know nothing about oh, Kanye West. Well, he's a black guy. Maybe he's a black guy. He's a Start very there. good rapper. Very good. Very good artist. Very good producer. More than anything else. Oh yeah, yeah the, you you lost me at that. Uh, he was married to Kim Kardashian for a while. I don't know who that is either. Oh wow! Oh oh man! You were so lucky. <laughs> See the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, this this comrade talk it, about exporting American right. We're, yeah. we're next. We 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 are next to Finland. We we listen to heavy metal here. Like no seriously, we listen to a lot of. There's a lot of rock music, a lot of metal music, bunch of pop as well these days. But rap is represented by 
while uh, some white guys who try to rap, and as far as I get it, they're really bad. So, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have some good white ones here. Well, we have at least a good white one named Eminem. But that can't be- <laughs> yeah, even even I've heard of that. It's just that I'm not I'm not a I'm not a fan of the genre, so I haven't delved deep into that stuff. I can I can go on hours and hours about Norwegian black metal, though. But that's the difference. Oh, I would and I would I would love to listen. Honestly, I love Norwegian black metal. At least the stories behind it, as horrifying as some of them are. Uh, but I, I was going to say the thing about Kanye. The reason why I bring him up is because he recently was he was like popping off in late 2022 here because he is a, I mean, to be clear, he's very mentally ill. It became very clear that he has very severe bipolar disorder, that he is not getting treated. And he started going on tirades about Jews. Wait, what? And it, is that a symptom of bipolar? Yes. It's a symptom of bipolar disorder. Yeah. But no, but in his case, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, 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 and that's the thing is that if you know anyone with bipolar disorder and you actually watch him do his interviews during that period of time, you can see the symptoms manifest, namely the flight of ideas where he's just like going from topic to topic to topic, but it always circles back to how the Jews are persecuting him. And it, it, Manic it, uh, personality. Right. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. kind of culminated with him going on Alex Jones and basically saying, I love Hitler is what he said. And yeah, he's you can look this up if you if you really want to go down a rabbit hole. It's very distract. It was distracting America from Ukraine. Latvian so. government already is looking at my computer because <laughs> in Latvia, see in Latvia, in Latvia, it's kind of they banned a bunch of Russian news sites because we have a lot of people who only live in Russian propaganda sphere. So now I have to allegedly use a VPN, uh, Express VPN, by the way. Thank you for the sponsorship. Uh, allegedly <laughs> uh, to to uh, use these sites. If I now go and look up. I love Hitler, Kanye West. <laughs> I did pretty innocent search, but it all the first part not so much. But I have yeah. to be on a list somewhere too, just with all this shit that I look up for my show. Oh yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's like, oh my, I, no I, I know how I'm going to title this episode: "The List of Men." <laughs> <laughs> that could be a podcast all on its that, own. That is, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't mean to. The reason why I brought up Kanye West though is is sort of just that. That's sort of what we have gotten to as seen as beyond the pale. I don't think he's beyond the pale if he seeks the help that he clearly needs. I think at that point, then we can have a conversation about, quote unquote, forgiving him. But he is what I think American culture would refer to as untouchable at this point because of how much crap he said. And By the way, do you know where the statement beyond the pale comes from? I, I, is it, I, I, for unknown reasons, is it a reference to beyond the pale of settlement? I have no idea. It's uh, Pale is a province in Ireland where Dublin's located. Let's start with okay. that. And it was kind of an Irish nationalist thing where they, because Pale was contra- controlled by the English, and uh, and and then going beyond the Pale was like, and then we're going to unite Ireland and go beyond it and go to Britain and kick English ass, like something very unrealistic and ah. stuff. I don't know why I know this. I would have never have guessed, <laughs> and I don't know why I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, so I, I think it's worth mentioning that um, there are limits, I think, that some people have for being able to be reasonable. But I think in the case of someone like Kanye West, who now you know who he is and can't not know, uh, I don't think someone who is in the throes of mental illness at that level can be reasoned with. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible. I think what I'm trying to say is, I think you are right. I think that there are people you can reason with. And honestly, even if you don't come away with a green, which happens plenty of times, as long as you're not like looking at each other as enemies, that's all that matters. And I think that that is kind of like a throwback thing for us to believe. I think when people get really worked up, especially online, what they're really getting worked up about is someone being mean. 
or they perceive as someone being mean. It's not even really about what they're saying. It's just that they don't like the conduct of the other person. It's probably an oversimplification of what's going on, but I could also see that Kanye in trolling the left. I could imagine that a a show like Alex Jones and his followers would salivate over a black guy that would set foot on Alex Jones's stage or or share a platform with him. You know, right? Kanye West is the is the is the sort of alpha and omega of contrarianism in a way. Yeah, but talking talking about this, by the way, about uh, black culture in America and also Latin culture. I found this interesting because I remember listening on Vox, I think it was the Weeds uh, show or something, where they mentioned that technically Republicans could get a lot of votes from black Americans if they would just tone down their own racial stuff because black Americans are more likely to go to churches. So they're kind of interesting. They have a lot of conservative values, same as Latin Americans, because Latin Americans are mostly Catholic and stuff. So they have their own like black Americans have their own like church culture. Which I know very little about, only from Hollywood movies, because yeah, but but uh, that's that's an interesting fact that also we speak about you know these different attitudes and stuff. But Russia is doing the thing which we in Europe have stopped doing for a while now, and that you guys still do in America. You have still some sort of concept of whiteness for some reason and non-whiteness and that stuff. Because because for example, like would you consider a Spanish person from Spain white? Right? You you. You probably would. I would. I mean, they're European, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they're they're darker than than bunch of guys from like Latin America because they live in Mediterranean. Well, now we're getting into what? Right. Well, now we're getting into like colorism, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. (laughs) Technically, by the way, my my dear racist listeners, the whitest people on planet Earth are Japanese women. If you take a white (laughs) sheet of paper, and this was told to me by my listener, whom I stayed with in Canada. Oh, Leon. Hi, Leon, if you're listening to this. And he showed me this and was like, yeah, you, you take a piece of white paper and then you kind of compare and you had Japanese women, whitest of them all. Ta-da. Why does, the, why does this even matter to anyone? Okay, I can only speak for Americans, but well, actually I can speak for Chinese to a degree too. The reason why they look at dark skin as ugly and light skin as pretty in China, it's a class thing because the lighter skinned you are, the more aristocratic you are. The darker skin you are, the more you work in the fields and are therefore a lowly peasant. That's the, and that seems to be the case in a lot of places. India, as I covered in one of my episodes that I still think I need to go back to because it's just there's so much there. India is racked with what we in America would recognize as racism based on skin color. And they, they made it into like an outright caste system that supposedly is defanged, but it still is used even in more extremity than in America, which has been argued to have a caste system as well. But the one thing that I think is so interesting about how America sort of dominated the conversation about racial classification globally in a lot of ways is because we adhered to a really crazy system where we called it the one drop rule, where if you had 1% African in you back in the day, you were black. That's how they could justify having people who were just from – generations of rape of slaves, there were basically white people who were working as slaves because they were part black, but they had been so, you know, like their kids had been raped by the owners, then their kids had been raped by the owners. And then you basically had, like I said, a bunch of white looking people working as slaves. And that was how they justified it to the, and I just want to mention one other thing. Our, 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 our racial categorization of the one drop rule, the Nazis thought it was too extreme. Just to give you a clue. Uh, so, so by this, so by this stupid idea, 
the father of all Russian literature and most of their culture, and a lot of painting as well, Pushkin, mm-hmm. would be totally black. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Same with Alexander Dumas, but everyone knows. I was going to say Dumas is another one, yeah. Everyone yeah. knows that because of Django Unchained, uh, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Pushkin, Pushkin, a bit less known. It's kind of kind of weird. <sighs> Wasn't there a Russian general in the Napoleonic Wars who was a black guy too? Yeah. Suvorov. Do you know who was that? I think Suvorov had some black cloud, but I might be mistaken because I'm not an expert of the Napoleonic era stuff in the Russian army. For for that, you have to talk to to uh, <laughs> Mike Duncan from who who just finished Revolution. But uh, see, that's that's that's, a, that's the problem that um, I still have. I still have a series that I need to finish. I just moved and I saw my book. I want to finish Russian Alaska because there's a lot oh, yeah. about Russian treatment of of the natives there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I, I was about to finish that one but then the war started but i want to go back to that because i have a book written by a very dugan friendly guy <laughs> who writes who who wrote who writes his book about why russia should get alaska back nice <laughs> and he explains all this stuff and the thing is the thing is that stuff that, like I said, the whole war against the United States is getting so much traction that Wagner Group, and if you listen to my show, if you don't know what Wagner Group is, you, you ha- please listen to my show previously. I, Wagner Group literally just banned me from Twitter for a week. Just say, okay. Uh, oh, they, that they're the ones who are behind. They did a a, a report. Well, Russian trolls. Yeah, yeah, like a, a reporting campaign. Yeah yeah, 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 stuff like that. And the thing is, uh, Wagner Group, uh, they uh, not only celebrate their sledgehammer execution, they now sell T-shirts with that. They also sell T-shirts with how Russia should look like. And, you know, in Russia, how Russia should look like involves all the Soviet Union borders, all of it, including all the Russian Empire borders, including parts of Greece, including Constantinople, oh and including gosh. Alaska. That's the biggest extent, you know, because they want to be the third row. <sighs> uh, it's kind of like Bulgaria's in it, like everything Soviet Union, everything Eastern Bloc, uh, everything Russian Empire territories, Afghanistan's in it as well, northern parts of India, parts of China, Kazakhstan, Mo- Mongolia, and of course, Alaska as well. And And the thing is, like I mentioned in the previous episode, right, which I found the funniest is that um, a lot of these Russian politicians, they play on to this because in the Russian political tradition, if you want to, because everyone's corrupt, right? Everyone's stealing money. So they're making these public statements, which they previously used to make about, let's nuke Arizona some, somewhere in the desert just to show the Americans what's what. Hey, we've already nuked the desert, so that's not an original idea. Yeah, we don't need any more class. <laughs> previously, no one listened to them, right? Like I said in the show, it's a public prostration before the Lord, because they they just show that they're unable to win a real election, that they're dependent on the Lord, right? And that they're just, you know, vassal. it's like prostrating yourself before the king fooling themselves out in public. And previously, no one used to listen. And now Dmitry Medvedev has to do that extra hard because he was seen as kind of a concrete, kind of a competition there. And they're saying all these things about the United States and everything. And like like I mentioned in the show, one of the craziest was that after Japan's prime minister had a talk with the United States, like about defense stuff, he publicly stated that he should commit seppuku instantly because he has lost all honor. Oh, I heard, I heard about that. <clears throat> I know that these guys are saying this not to be heard by the United States. They're saying this to just show Putin that they're loyal and they're totally up for it and they're reliant on him. But the problem is everyone in the West can now hear them. And, uh, well, I've been, I've been saying these things for years on my show, what they're saying. And now for some reason, someone's listening and it's just, just wild. It's all insane. I, I have it's a question and it's kind of a dumb question, but it's a very pointed one. Is Putin a racist person? Oh, definitely. 
Okay. I mean, I and I just mean that like on a personal level too, because I know that he's definitely anti-Semitic as fuck. Really? That's for sure. I mean, I'm not surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. It's Russia, but still. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not Russia. That's KGB. KGB, right, right. Oh, on his part, yeah, yeah. I was thinking more about I was thinking more about the early czarist pogroms. KGB yeah. and the fat of Stalin. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. If you can put these two things together, um, I I know Jack can. So those guys have a massive hard on for Stalin. I had this like like fantasy a couple of years ago about like you know when i if i ever become wealthy i'd really like to make like produce a series about stalin with like georgian and russian actors and my goal would be that it would be well at least back then it was like this should be something where it wouldn't get banned in russia like uh, both russian and american audiences could watch it and be happy with it but then since the war I thought, well, there went that goal because there's no way, unless it's like, like one thing I've noticed is with their media, um, especially when it comes to anything Soviet Union or Stalin, it has to be like borderline masturbatory for them to actually approve of it. Yeah. By the way, is one of the reasons why I think modern day Russia is a bit worse than the USSR was in a lot of senses. USSR had an ideology, USSR had actually less control, and you will laugh, of course, that's the traditional segment, current Russia has a higher conviction rate than Stalinist era Soviet Union. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. uh, Yeah, that is funny. Stalin convicted (laughs) 93.7 people who went to courts. Okay? That's a lot, right? (laughs) Modern day Russia convicts 98 point something. Good lord. I mean, yeah, that it's I, it's a thing. It's a thing. And the, by the way, another thing is like by, by the movie, you mentioned the movie. I don't remember what was this. There was this guy. Um, I for, I forgot his name. But there was this movie about post apocalypse in a way, like the last people on Earth about the nuclear war. Like, and then the people were li- like, is that Mad Max? people in Australia were the last ones living, but they had like two weeks left to live. Mad Max, Ro- no, not Mad, not Mad Max, but like the pressing one about oh, like, the road, uh, the road. I don't know. It was like old one. Uh, oh, it's old. Oh, um, not it was in like the fifties. It was shown in the USSR in Moscow as well. Oh, and interesting. And the drew inspiration from it. It was something like uh, the last tomorrow. I don't know about like, or, or the morning. Ah, oh, should have looked this one up earlier. It just popped into my head. There's like, I, I, I know that it was filmed in Australia and the, the artist, the, the director's goal was specifically to show it in both US and the Soviet Union to kind of show the horrors of nuclear war. And he specifically didn't mention in the movie who would start this war. And it was like a powerful movie. Like I said, it inspired Strugatskis to write their own like roadside picnic, which then got turned into stalkers. So uh. I had a thought because you were talking about the racism in Russia right now and also within Putin, which, uh, you know, it, that is important. I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, he is the state. At least he puts himself out there that way. I know that it's not in practice like that all the time. But my my reason for bringing that up, though, is that there's some- I just imagine Putin dressed up like in an 18th century uh, garb and walking through the mirror and saying, let us <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, I um, – well, okay. So the one thing I was thinking, and maybe, Jack, you can speak to this better than me, but the impression I've always got from racist people, people who harbor the thoughts and or especially express them, is it comes from a deep insecurity about yourself. And what I recently was hearing about Russia in terms of its like collapsing demographics being a major factor of what led to Putin going kind of crazy and trying to retake the glory of the old Russian empire is I'm, I'm wondering if like what we're witnessing – and maybe I'm overstating this. I'm, I'm known to do that. 
but maybe we're witnessing a sort of symbolic death of the state through this expression of racism. It's like the racism is sort of the last thing that people grasp for when they don't really have anything else going for them. I mean, racism and homophobia. Well, and homophobia, bigotry in general, but like, like identifying others that don't really pose much of a threat to you, especially. Yeah. It's just your destitution or whatever. It can't be your own fault. It has to be the fault of somebody else who also uh, happens to not look like you in any way. Yeah. I, and not be part of your state, quote unquote. Right, right. Kristaps, I was listening to your episode yesterday, the, your newest one, or it might have been the one before that, about the the ads that Russia has come out with. And the the one I really thought was actually that, – that I thought was really funny was the one uh, where this couple from Russia is on a plane and they're on their way to the United States and the the flight attendant is like explaining to them – all this stuff about America that they didn't know. And they, they're like forced to bow to this black guy on the, on the plane. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> they have a, they, they, if, if you, you should YouTube this one out because uh, sometimes I'm, I'm very, cause I, I don't control my YouTube account. Acast uploads there. Like my manager made this one, but now my manager is very far away from Latvia and I can't get access to it. So I hope it has plenty of Saudi Arabian oil ads. That's all. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> and weapons manufacturers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every video on YouTube that I have is just like my logo and audio and it's demonetized completely so i uh <laughs> of course it is it's youtube <laughs> just as long as wagner group doesn't advertise like through a <laughs> secretly or something oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. but, 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 but that ad, that is that is crazy and uh it's it's like yeah the the same ad uh, contains information about the parent number one and parent number two that's the, that's a myth that putin says himself constantly he states that everyone in the west you don't have mothers and fathers anymore it's just parent number one and parent number two oh, that's yep <laughs> <laughs> he's over he's he's doing what people do in the culture war here in the United States. He's I got to give him credit or hit his people credit. They understand our culture war pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but but he's not doing a very good job at it. I have seen this ad and that was so cringe. It was like awful. But how how did they get the black guy to run? Participate in the ad. I was wondering that. I want to know who that is. Uh, money. Yeah. Money. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. They probably offered him. Well, the thing is that actors never get paid very well. So they all all they had to do really is say, hey, here's a thousand bucks, and he'd probably be okay <laughs> because he's an actor. They don't make very much money, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm not being mean, I'm just stating the facts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they didn't tell them it was an ad. I'm pretty sure they told him that was a sarcastic comedy or something. Otherwise, I I don't even know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I mean, I haven't actually seen the ad. I got to look this up, though. It's on YouTube, you said? Oh, you have to watch it. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. I'm going to look it up. Maybe that was Steven Seagal's buddy or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. I, you know, it might have been a – yeah, it could have been a contact. Who knows? I mean, they could have been like, hey, Steve, uh, what's uh, – you, you know somebody? You know a black guy we can use? And they'd be like, hold on. I got it. I got it. Let me just get my black face on. And no, I'll no, do no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. It just was yeah. Steven Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to mention, though, is that what Putin's doing is he's leaning into these culture war issues here in the United States that yeah. resonate a lot in the online crowd. Yeah, he knows. He, he knows those very well, though. That's that's one thing that he knows well. It's amazing for a guy that doesn't use the Internet. Exactly. He has his red binders. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's wild, too. But um, he has people who do. And, and the thing that blows my mind, though, or pisses me off rather is he's leaning into shit that actually is a very serious problem here we do have a, a single parent 
crisis in our country. And I, I'm not one of those people who like harps on the fact that it, it it's a racial problem. That's something conservatives do. That, that's not but, a single parent crisis. You misunderstood. That's uh, we must accept transgender people and single that that thing. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not exactly a big deal when only what 0.7% of the population is trans, like, and, and not all of them want kids and not all of them adhere to certain ideologies. It's it's such a, it's so stupid. So that's funny. I, I read that, read into that as two parent thing too. Not but Russia has so many single parents, like it's insane. So I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> the one thing that's interesting about the single parent discussion, I guess in this country is the right seems to make a big deal about it mm-hmm. the left that's like the one thing the left like won't they don't engage with that and i never hear anybody say it like it's a good thing because you can't it's objectively not not a good thing but not in absolute terms but in relative average terms and statistical terms it's not a good thing there's worse outcomes for single parenthood i mean it, it's just a fact the one person even sort of from the left who's talked about it, and he, he's more talking about it from a racial standpoint, is uh, John McWhorter, who's also a black man. And he has talked about the single parenthood problem from the left. But unfortunately, he just gets lumped in with, you know, the typical – honestly, I I don't want to be too cynical, but it just sounds like concern trolling a lot of the time when I hear the right talking about single parenthood households when they're only talking about it with black people because it's a problem that white people have too. Yeah. I have a question to you, by the way. I also remember hearing this in the, in the American political podcast. Slate, maybe, or, or like I said, maybe the weeds. There's barely two million of us, you know, in Latvia. We're super tiny. We have major demographic issues. Mm-hmm. So even our right-leaning parties, which are right in well name only because they're right by nationalistic standards, which is again different from the United States, but they basically do a social democratic policy in, in general. We have free healthcare for pregnant women. They get two thousand euros just random. If you have a baby, you get two thousand euros instantly. Done, no <laughs> questions asked. Then you have like fifteen months of paid leave, everything like that. And they do a bunch of programs like that because they try to solve demographical issues. They they want basically us to have more babies. Mm-hmm. And when I mentioned that on the show, it was like a long time ago, but still, like that, hey, that's a kind of a life-leaning social program. I was called out that like someone told me that that's racist or something. What? And I was like, what? What? Yeah. Uh, but seriously, I, I got accused of that. And I still don't know why, because uh, it's just... It's because it got tied to, um, and I'm assuming this was probably in the years following the great migrations from the Middle East and North Africa into Europe. So there was like a lot of Muslim people coming into Europe and it was changing the face of Europe, quote unquote. And that's why they were saying it's racist because all the nativists were saying like, oh, we have to have more babies so we don't get overwhelmed by all the brown people. I'm assuming that's what they were saying. But this is Latvia. Right. They don't come here. <laughs> yeah, they go to Sweden they, at they, best. They, they go to Sweden or Germany. <laughs> yeah. like over here, there are very there, there are some people who stay, mm-hmm. but not many of them. Like I said, I told you we have a tenfold increase in black people. Now we have about 100 <laughs> in our country of 2 million. Yeah. Okay? So it's it's those kind of numbers we're talking about. Not thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Or, we, don't, we don't have that many of them. Our immigrants are mostly Russians. Mm-hmm. Ukrainians now too, right? Ukrainians now as well, yes. And we worry about that. Again, this is the case of situations being misunderstood. And I'm like, if I can misunderstand a lot of things, and how would an average Russian who totally doesn't even speak English, hasn't spoken to a single American his whole life, and has been fed only Putin propaganda for 20 years, yeah, he probably 
probably hates hates all your guts totally. Yeah. What I don't get though is all the Russian athletes that are still in the United States and everywhere else, and all the Russian propaganda guys like Solovyov, who, um, unlike Girkin, whom I sort of respect for his tactical knowledge, Solovyov is the person whom I literally want to do a good old clockwork orange style ultra violence upon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, he basically states that, like you said, gay Satanists devil worshippers right. that sort of thing yet he yet he's bought like villas uh, next to lake of comey in italy and all that stuff it's so weird and, and a lot of them have actually like california is also a super popular place where they buy their villas if they want to move to the united states why it's so overpriced and we live on it we live on a fault line that's probably why it's <laughs> overpriced you do, you don't get it because that's the joke of the new russians like in the 90s there were the criminals who got a lot of money and yeah they don't care about taste they were the guys who would like you know build their mansion in, in the poorest district of town and have like bronze lines in front of it because they don't care they have no taste we had a running joke about it that uh, you know one of those anecdote right is that uh, one one of these new russians you know the gangsters who are rich in the 90s says to another look at look at this tie i bought it on that there street corner for ten thousand dollars <laughs> other new russian says to him you've been had bought the same tie on the other corner for twenty thousand <laughs> <laughs> it's the tacky thing where it's like just because it's more expensive it's therefore better yes yeah yes that's a well that's a prestige thing yeah about as helpful as comparing prices on bottles of wine it is yeah i was just thinking yeah. that actually like the the if, when they gave like the supposed like wine experts like a blind taste test they versus like a non-blinded one yeah. they rated the more expensive ones way lower when they didn't know it was the expensive ones it's the exact same cognitive bias going on there. <laughs> I am very glad that we're on the same page because uh, due to my job and my relations, the thing I hate the most are pretentious, artsy people. Not, not the normal artists. No, like I know a bunch of artists who are really great guys, but then there are those people who are super pretentious about liking something and knowing something better and being like all these posh people. and They make you feel worse because you're Right. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think the thing you bring up with uh, Solovyov, is that his name? Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Vladimir Solovyov. Yeah, like the way you describe how he's like super anti-American, loves to call us a bunch of satanic, demonic, like all the favorite words of like the new right types who- You forgot gay, gay, satanic, demonic. Gay, satanic, demons. Yeah, all that shit. Like, I mean, and again, it's really jarring because I hear a lot of that very same, like almost word for word, same criticism coming from- like far right Americans a lot of the time too, where they're not even shy about using the word blasphemous about things without without irony. Yeah, far right Americans don't quote uh, Russian Ministry of Defense reports stating how many um, N word people they've killed with great passion, showing that you know they've um... exactly it's not PC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, the, the thing that they that I think is so interesting though about them like being invested in American like property and stuff like that. It feels like a sort of inverse of what we used to at least call champagne socialists, the people who espouse socialist values but make, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, hands over fist to, you know, propagandize that stuff that they don't actually even live by. It's a very cheap argument made by people who don't like socialists to say, well, what are you doing with all your money? Why aren't you letting homeless people live in your house? And it's a cheap argument, but it's still true. It reminds me of, uh, I'm not going to say who, but um, I know somebody who, likes to post a lot of leftist stuff on Instagram. And then I, I remember one time I was talking to them in person mm -hmm. and just like in passing, he mentioned that he got approved for a, um, an Amex card. And I, I didn't say anything, but I was thinking like, bro, you have to like, 
<sighs> be like doing well to have an Amex card, but like like a good one, yeah, yeah. Like, why are you like posting all this like anti-capitalist stuff on? Well, and that's the thing is, I think it goes back to our conversation about hypocrisy before, where like how you said, Jack, rightfully that we don't care about hypocrisy when it suits us. And I think that that's just what's going on with guys like Solovyov and and all the other people who purport to hate America but invest in it. There's another thing, by the way, just philosophical and historical and kind of ties everything around here, is the fact that historically, Russian nobility in general has always hated Russians. Mm. They've hated everything Russian. If you think about it, uh, they all spoke French in St. Petersburg court, right? Mm -hmm. The Russian people to them were just serfs. Because if you look at all the rulers, all Romanovs were mostly German. They had like... They literally, as you know, Nick Nicky the second wrote notes to his cousin and and, like, and his grandmother. Yep, <laughs> and his grandmother and everyone. Yep, and they hate they hated Russians. The average Russians like that, and like and that carried over, I think, because uh, American even populist leaders like imagine how would an American politician who would candidate for some position or something, it would be considered a thing of pride if he would like go out and say, well, this suit was made in America and everything I do was made in America. My car is American, and all this stuff, right? Yeah. That would be considered a good thing. In Russia, if you would do that, people would look at you like, what the fuck are you, poor? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, they- Is it a class thing? Sort of. They like to be, and that's also the, the case why uh, like, democracy and liberalism didn't catch on because the Russian liberals are mostly kind of at fault for this. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, this whole idea that if you are the intellectual elite, and if you are like, that's why Putin tries to be one of the people, right? But uh, his surroundings, his cohorts, which are super hated even by Putin's supporters, they are still that kind of people. If it's made in Italy, it's better than if it's Russian. If they're seen doing something that's go going doing Russian tradition, one thing, wearing Russian clothes, oh, no, 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 no. Driving a Russian car, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. It's bad. What's wrong with a lot of <laughs> very reliable, just like a Kalashnikov. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not. The thing is like, there's another joke. What's a lot on top of a mountain? <laughs> a miracle. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, how do you make a lot that look good in the parking spot? How? Park it between two Moskvich. <laughs> oh I'm sure there's like some American equivalents of those jokes too, actually. Yeah, but like like the thing is the thing is Ladas are like about Ladas, they used to be reliable because like old old Nivas, which is like Lada model, except like it was a Jeep Wrangler version of it, like off-road thing. I remember the Top Gear episode where the hosts were surprised that it had like a little small opening next to the driver right and they didn't didn't figure out why why it was there it was for like i under ice fishing so you would like drive on to your frozen lake open it and just fish from your car i love that <laughs> back in the day back in the soviet era where soviet union actually you know if you look at the population the soviet union population of russia you would understand that by the collapse the ussr lost a lot of population mm -hmm. a lot of creative minds too remember korolev ukrainian all of the Soviet rocket industries and all of, by the way, Soviet computer industries with the limited limited cybernetics knowledge that they had. Thanks, Aretz. Uh, we made this episode on Soviet computing history and turns out it's all Ukrainian. <laughs> and right now, well, uh, the super fancy tank Sarmata managed to, you know, kind of die on, on the road thing. But I literally found out about their super tank, which kind of ties into this whole Russian thing. I found out today, literally today before recording, uh, one interesting fact about it because... Um, a lot of the commenters uh, that I follow, 
mentioned this and then I Googled it up and looked at it and called up some friends and it turns out that they have the super tank, Sarmata, which is like their mega tank, which they showed in pictures showing that it could blow up Abrams tanks instantly and like all the Israeli tanks and everything. The problem is it suffered from a mega feature creep. And the latest feature that they included into this tank, which they popularized out of it and made a propaganda tool out of it, was like they, the tank had a bathroom inside. <laughs> I mean, that's good, I guess. <laughs> the problem is the tank got so expensive that um, they have like 20 prototypes of them right now because the Russian army refused to even like, and they're corrupt as, as hell. The Russian army even refused to buy them because there was just a bit too much. Just, just ridiculous. You can buy like three T-90s for the cost of single armata. And now the, the latest decision of the war is that Putin's going to send those 20 prototypes on the front to improve the morale of the troops. One of them's been blown up already because no one knows how to use them. <laughs> And they're totally useless. Did, did, did America just get all the good Nazis after the war in terms of scientists? <laughs> <laughs> you can use those two words in the same sentence. Exactly. Yeah. Good Nazi. Well, there was one good Nazi. His name was John Rabbit. He saved 200,000 Chinese from the Japanese during the Rape and Yang King. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, and even he was like, this has uh, gone too far. Yeah. Oh, and then of course for his trouble, the you know, the Hitler's government was just like, okay, we're going to exile you now. Okay, you're you're done. Because he raised too much of a stink. I'm gonna end up barring myself from Japan too, because at some point I'm gonna do an episode on the Kempe Tai. Yeah. Oh my god. And yeah. I'm sure I'm sure they're gonna <laughs> love, love that. The right the rightists there will, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Let's just say the Kempatai were glorious. They were great. They did a they did a bang up job. <laughs> they were great at what they did. Exactly. Uh, yeah, ex exactly. And let's let's leave it that one thing though that's really scared me, by the way, since uh, first time we spoke, Alex. We used to sort of semi joke about government by assassination. Glad to have you back on the show because look what's happened now, right? How many people how many how many are have how many unfortunate window accidents have there been at this point? <laughs> Enough that there's now a Wikipedia list of mysterious deaths in Russia, and this is like a pretty long one as well. <laughs> I heard this story, and maybe this was in Russia. I don't think this was in Russia, but a story about a guy that was like selling commercial grade glass for like office buildings. And he was like, it's so strong, you can't even like, you won't even go through it. Watch. And so he like tests it out and goes straight <laughs> through the glass and falls like 13 stories. <laughs> I need to look for that too. I got I got to make a list of things to look up. The uh the really racist Russian propaganda and now the man failing to prove how good his glass was. <laughs> I'm seriously, open windows are like the leading cause of death and someone on Twitter posted uh, like a great kind of a joke. He made a great joke about this and I don't remember who it was, but well, um Ivan, we have to we have to kill another one. What's it going to be? He fell off a chair. What do you mean he fell off a chair? That's stupid. What are we going to write? Well, what else are going to be, going to be used? Poison? Oh, well, that's going to be stupid again. <laughs> well, what else? We shot him? No, well, that's like 90s. So, uh, bio labs? No, that's okay. What did he? What can he also fall off? <laughs> Let's put him in a lot at the top of a mountain. <laughs> Yeah. Now we know it's fake at that point. Yeah. It's sci-fi. It's sci-fi, man. My my favorite thing you mentioned on Daniele's show <laughs> was the story. And I think we might have talked about it. I don't remember if this, this had happened or not, but the uh, the guy who had just gotten out of life-saving surgery, just ah, he got depressed and jumped out a window. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was like, that, 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 that happened. That happened after. <laughs> the surgeon would be like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That happened after our conversation. I tagged you about that on Twitter. See, that's the thing. 
at least at least in Western Europe, or, and, and I presume in America, the politicians, the corrupt assholes, at least have the human decency to pretend they're, you know, not, not doing corrupt things, right? It's not a very good job, but yeah. Yeah. We have some really, like, more of the darker stuff with American assassinations is, like, on with local politics, believe it or not. And one example is the killing of, well, I should, allegedly... Um, ah, gosh, what was his name? Frankie something. He was some office holder in Oregon. Okay. And he, he came over from the corrections system in New Mexico and he exposed a bunch of corruption in Oregon's state government, allegedly. And, um, he was killed and there was like just this huge cover up and, Stuff like that. I'll send you guys a link. I can't. Was it Michael Frankie or James Michael? Yes, Michael Frankie. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just looked Thank it you. up for you. Um, yeah. Wow. That uh, I have never heard of that, but that is real. Because yeah, Chris Chaps and I were just talking. We were talking assassination. We were on like the global scale because um, Abe had just been killed, and all these other assassinations had had happened in Russia, and we'd had our own attempts here in the states. Like no one actually has died, but I mean, first we had um, the guy who tried to kill Kavanaugh. And then there was a guy who attacked Paul Pelosi, and that wasn't even like to include like the stuff that was happening a couple of years ago. Like the, uh, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it wasn't an assassination. I was going to say Charlottesville, but that was not an assassination. That was just a terrorism. But okay, I, I'm glad you brought up Abe because I was going to ask you guys: Did you, did either of you feel as if that got a surprising amount of little attention in the news media? A hundred percent. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe in the United States because we have quite close ties with Japan here. Sure. Because, uh, well, they again invested, China and Japan invested a lot of here in the 90s. Uh, yeah, I, I managed to spend six years in Japanese language and culture school. I can read hiragana and katakana and I can watch anime. I can watch anime without dubs and, nice. and subs a bit. Lucky you. Quite a bitch. <laughs> it, was, it, was stu- it, it was stupid, but, but yeah, that's one of my weird tales from childhood. But yeah, we have some Japanese. That was pretty big here. It was pretty big. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, and as I was saying in our conversation about that, it's like on the one hand, I don't really shed too many tears because he's one of those rape of Nanking denialists. So, you know, whatever. I'm, I, you know, rest in piss, I'll say. But at the same time, it is significant and it is tragic and it's indicative of something, hopefully not, but it might be indicative of something larger as part of a trend that we haven't seen in about 100 years, a little less than 100 years. But then again, assassinations have always, you know, happened here and there throughout history. So maybe, maybe saying we're in a second age of assassination is overstating it, but I just have a hard time believing that given how, like, up in the air, a lot of things feel like I never thought we would see an assassination in Japan. Like again, like and I, I know that was probably naive of me, but it still was very surprising. I, I figured we'd, we'd see another couple here and in Russia first, but Japan, I guess, had us beat in that respect. Have you heard of Om though? Om Shinrikyo. Yeah. The the cult. Yeah. Yeah. The cult. Yeah. I mean they. They assassinated. I mean, that wasn't even that long ago. True, you're right. I, I, you know what? I completely spaced on that. You were absolutely right. But I thought they were more known for like mass terroristic uh, attacks. Yes, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not. It wasn't like individual. Well, I mean, I guess assassination is individual. So scratch that. But <laughs> they they were motivated by a different, completely different things. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah they're they were a crazy apocalyptic cult that 
had a lot of really weird cultural, like Japanese cultural hangups, like involved in that too. And I, but yeah, I, I, the impression I got of their politics was that it was a little vague. This is probably going to be the longest show for a long while, but I just wanted to, uh, to wrap up this with, with two questions. I'll start with the first one is that, well, uh, Rammstein, <clears throat> I live the band, but, um, but it's okay. Um, like the Rammstein conference just happened and, Germany still refuses to do anything with Leopard 2 tanks and not even like their Leopard 2 tanks about the Leopard 2 tanks that are in other countries which want to be given to Ukraine. And their argument currently is the fact that, um, well, we want to work closely with our allies and only with our allies and we're going to give Leopard 2 tanks only if the United States give an Abrams tank to Ukraine. And the United States refuses to give Abrams tanks. And I don't know why. Maybe you guys know, because how do we solve this tank issue? I'm not asking you to respond about Germany, and I don't want to go into threads about that, but how likely is it that the United States might actually give an Abrams tank? Because yeah, some, some people are basically on the Russian side accusing the United States of artificially prolonging the war, like they're not giving enough. Even pro-Russian guys say, look at the evil United States. If they wanted Ukraine to win, they would give like them all, all the weapons and Ukraine would win fast. But what they want to do is like bleed out us and everything and bleed out Ukraine. That's their, that's their thing. And I've heard a lot of noise about the fact that the United States doesn't give Abrams tanks because it has some sort of top secret equipment in it. But surely you must have like older Abrams tanks, which doesn't have super secret equipment in it. Maybe you have any ideas. There's like a couple of things I'm not quite clear on in terms of like the kind of support we're giving Ukraine. I know it's money, financial, but are we giving them weapons? Yeah, I think we have been. Yes, we yes, are. are. Okay, so the Abrams tank then is a weird exception. You give a Patriot uh, missile system as well. Right, yes. We gave them the javelins, Patriot missiles. You're right. HIMARS and a bunch of Humvees and javelins. Yeah, and- you're right. You're right. Okay, so yeah, the Abrams tank then is a strange exception that we don't. A lot of conversation I've been hearing about this is a fear of escalation. And I sort of think goes back to what we were talking about, how Russia borrowed a lot of European influence. This will make sense in a second, so just bear with me. I think Europe is reluctant to escalate because of the quality of life in Europe overall is better in Russia, especially after sanctions ex- for for like the common people. And to me, it seems like if this were to escalate to nuclear war, Europe has more to lose. Like they have a lot more comfort to lose. They have more money to lose. They they have more of like a mm. of a livelihood to lose than a than a Russian that's poor. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the thing. Uh, Britain is sending their tanks, for example, already. Challenger 2s. <laughs> well, then there goes that. <laughs> and, and and France is also going to send their Leclerc tanks, which are apparently even more. Because like, uh, this nuclear war thing, I'm still adamant that no nuclear... Like, Putin can't even fly and give his own proper speech. Sure. He, he sits on the table of everything. He's not a strong man. He's I, I, I doubt he even has like the balls left to depress even the red bottom, even if he wanted to. I did find it funny what you said in one episode, Kristaps, about how if they if they even launched ten, only like three would hit anything yeah. because of <laughs> corruption. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's this other question of like, why would he? It's like, is he going to nuke Ukraine? No, because his goal is to take Ukraine. It makes no sense to nuke it. Is he going to nuke the rest of Europe? Well, no, or America? No, because then that just signs his death warrant, like immediately. So 
like, I mean, I, to, I keep bringing him up, but I mean, he's been showing up in the news a lot lately, but uh, Peter Zahan, he was on, um, or Zahan rather, he was on Rogan. He was, you know, he's been making waves. So that's probably why. But um, he mentioned that the only way he can see Putin ever using nukes is if the Ukrainians lose their chill and decide to try to take more territory than what is their own. Right. Is, is Peter Zahan the, the kind of the, the guy on Twitter that's geopolitical strategist, speaker, author, blah, blah, blah? Yes. Just, oh, he follows me on Twitter, apparently. Oh, he does. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he's. I'm confused now, but okay. <laughs> but would Putin really nuke Crimea? Like, I, I, my sort of sense of the situation is they definitely want to retake the territories that have been captured within the last year, but then. Right. I meant like if they went further than that, if they kept going even further. No, no, no. Ukraine definitely wants to recapture Crimea. Right. So would Russia really be willing to like wreck environmentally? Crimea. No, definitely no. Crimea is that's the thing. Khrushchev gave gave Crimea to Ukraine because all the water supply comes from Ukraine. It's it's because of logistical reasons, basically. Because mm-hmm. Crimea without Ukraine, because of all the dams of Dnieper River, it has no rivers on its own. It doesn't have enough groundwater or fresh water. It's a touristy place. Nothing grows there. Like mm-hmm. agriculture is just impossible. So, right, if, and, and also you know who who really owns owns Crimea? Ukrainian Tatars. You know the the old tribal guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, Russia just you know um, basically closed down because they had their own autonomy. They had their own governmental thing called Majlis, which is kind of like how they call their parliament thing. And Russia just closed down that and announced every member of it being a terrorist. So. Uh, Putin doesn't care about Russian people at all. Doubted he'll nuke anything. Not because he wouldn't press the red button. He likes the ball to do it, at least in public. But I think that if he would try to, like I said, I know that the Russian nuclear forces are run by the old school guys. A lot of them are still there from the Soviet era. And they're teaching the kids all that stuff. They're very autonomous. you, You never know who's in charge of them. They are still left with the Soviet mentality. They are probably the most sane people in Russia right now, the guys sitting in the nukes. I know that in the United States, you guys have like 20-something sitting in the nukes so that they wouldn't think much and would follow orders because your government's mostly sane. In Russia, it's different. In Russia, nukes are controlled by 70-year-old guys who remember the Soviet days and they don't give a shit. Why? They don't give a shit because uh, if they're not being paid well, well, they're the guys who can also just press the button and send the nuke to Moscow if they would so choose. They uh, truly don't care about whomever is in power, and they're a very autonomous unit. The whole path between Putin pressing the button and nukes actually being launched is like 18 steps. Not not one, not two, like 18. Like, first of all, Shoigu, Putin, and one other unnamed guy from the Security Council has to decide on the codes. They all push the button together, and then it goes through 18 military steps until something gets launched. And in those 18 steps, we lose a bunch of stuff. And I wanted to bring that up also because I want to make it clear because, you know, to kind of loop it into what we were talking about before, I think most people, at least the people that I like and respect, people in our space, in the podcasting space, I think most of them are just animated by a desire to avoid war. Some people are just, you know, naturally predisposed to being as anti-war as possible. And that I can sympathize with. I mean, especially... That is easy for you to say, for you living in the United States. For me, it's a bit different. For me, Ukraine is like... For me, Ukraine is two countries away, literally Belarus and Ukraine, right? It would be like if someone invaded Arizona or something. Yeah, exactly. For, For me, there's this... Another saying, war has come to our house. What shall we do? Mm-hmm. It's not a choice. Right. 
Right. I mean, we can't be anti-war for us. Anti-war means literally, well, that thing. And also, here's the other thing that needs to be stated very plainly is that if a, if the United States has been in any similar position to anybody involved in this war right now, it's Russia. We did this and we talked about this, Chris Jobs, that how it's very W. Bush like, like what Putin's doing and in, in maybe a little crazier, but in uh, it, what, what we were like with Iraq. At this point, I think we have the luxury to be anti-war for, well, for multiple reasons, but that's one major reason is that we just got quote unquote done with a 20 year adventure in the Middle East that produced nothing but misery and death for everybody involved. So I think like when, when you look at it, at it that way, you can kind of see why there might be some people who even sympathize, quote unquote, with Putin. It's not that it's right. It's obviously not. But it's more that they can only understand that viewpoint. Um, that's just speculation on my part. I think I'm way more jaded than that because, well, uh, at this point, the total death tally of, of people that I've lost in this war has reached eight. Jesus. Uh, because the uh, last, last two of them were uh, guys from the ministry in the helicopter crash. Mm-hmm. That also delayed my, my going to Ukraine since one of the guys up there and his aide was people who are like, I was in contact with, right. managed it's interviews real. with, so I don't know how they're going to respond to this. See, it's it's very different than, than for you. For for me, for me, this war is not an abstract concept. Mm-hmm. For me, it is something that is personal, that is real, that is there. And and someone that's trying to tell me that the guys who are literally killing people that I know are somehow in the right. Well, that's where they go too far. I, no, no. Do- I, I should probably be more peaceful and more tolerant and more understanding. Just sometimes. Well, as a journalist, I shouldn't be emotional, but as a podcaster who says fuck on the show a lot, I can tell you all to just <laughs> let me be sometimes, okay? Because I, I'm I, I spending so much time covering this stuff that eh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, it's completely... I got to tell you, no, you shouldn't keep your chill. Like, you should feel the way you do because you just stated it. You explained it. Like I said, they go too far. There are some people who are just anti-war and they want to keep us out of it. That's what I'm saying is sympathetic to, like, from the perspective of an American, at least. But then there are the people who want to stay out of the war and they think the best way yeah. to do that is to legitimize the Putin narrative. That Those are the people that I, I have very little respect for because what they're doing is simping for a foreign imperial power. Like, that is that is not an anti-war position. That's an imperialist position. Position. I can tell you also for sure that if uh, United States decides to kind of withdraw it from Ukraine and stuff, uh, then at that point NATO just dissolves itself. This is this is what one thing that Putin wanted to kind of he be banked upon the fact that there wouldn't be such a reaction. It's just that you and your PR as a as a government have portrayed yourselves as this defender of democracy and all this stuff. You have justified wars in Iraq for this, right? If you would fail stand up to this point then what is the point of the alliance and not like with you then like yeah it, it's a further black eye to that to that person that narrative i should say the idea that we stand up for democracy and freedom i think a lot of people were made very jaded by the war in iraq especially because we were told that and it turned out no we are just making our government's just making shit up and saying that this is why we're going to war in this place and didn't even attack us not to say Saddam was a good person, though, but no, absolutely not. I think if there was, that's why I struggled with the war in Iraq. I, I used to be more of a supporter of it because I think anyone with a brain and a heart, seeing what or hear, even reading about what Saddam and his sons, especially, were doing, they, they created a personal fiefdom of torture and death. It was a horrible yep. place. Talking about this, by the way, you might be shocked, and you listeners as well. See, a lot of people in Russian pro-war side 
compare this to your war in Iraq. Favorably? <laughs> because no, because oh, okay. Because because let me tell you, like like I mentioned the very beginning of this conversation, they're super racist and they think that uh, Ukrainians can't fight for themselves. So now, as you had armed Iraqis or, or, and Afghans to fight against the Taliban or whatever, right now they feel like this is another proxy war of the United States, which is not the case. Because the, the, the very stupid argument that the United States would have invaded Russia if, if Russia hadn't attacked Ukraine alone is, is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I mean, it, it, well, and I just wanted to mention too that uh, there's another element of this that um, you and I have also talked about when we were just sort of doing the more fun. Here's the differences between Americans and uh, and we'll say Latvians, but we'll just say Eastern border countries is that you guys have a lot more real world experience in the geopolitical wartime sense, especially now, than we do. Like it, it might seem a little odd for us to get so worked up and bent out of shape about our government lying to us about one war. But that just is still a very new concept to Americans. We only started to accept the fact that our government gets involved overseas for nefarious reasons only about 60 years ago. It's a very recent phenomenon. But okay, to, to wrap this up, because we've been talking, oh boy, this is, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> but but to, to wrap this up, uh, it, it has been an honor, listed men, <laughs> to, to have, <laughs> have you on my show. <laughs> Uh, I'm loving that title. I'm 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 co-signing on do. that. <laughs> this is going to be the the name of our, our our interviews whenever we do this one again. Yeah. But I just wanted you to kind of, if you had a prediction about this year, because I'm I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked Yuris Kaja on my last interview show. If you had a prediction about what's going to happen in this year with the war and how you see everything turning out, and maybe give it to the American spin, like will the attitude in America change, or, or or how will Americans perceive this, or is there any political implications for America that might change something? It's not even the year of this war. It's, it's going to be soon, but not yet. So after a year of war, how do you see the next one? Because we are obviously probably going to see another year. I hope this is going to end this year, but I'm not exactly sure about this. So what, what are your predictions? Please, uh, let's start with Alex, and then Jack, you can finish, wrap this one up and, and stuff. Well, honestly, I'm kind of cribbing from you because I believe I heard you say this. I think it was on Danielli's show. It might have been on your show. I can't remember. I think it was Danielli's show. You're, the most likely scenario is that Russia is going to just keep going. They're going to keep um, escalating this and not give up anytime soon. Uh, to kind of, And to be perfectly honest, it kind of lines up with everything that I've heard people from Dan Carlin to Peter Zion again to saying that you know Russia is just going to do what they've always done, do horribly in the first year, and then just start just continuously throwing people at the problem until it resolves itself. The question of if it resolves itself this particular time is a, is more of an open one. I'm not quite sure, but but I mean, I defer to you on that if that's going to be what happens or not. So I don't know. But what I think is going to happen here in the United States is it's going to continually be forgotten until something big happens or until a major figure says something about it. Then it's going to devolve into more culture war bullshit. And we're going to see more of the masochistic nationalism from the far left and far right. And ultimately, we're just going to end up treating this like just another political football because our midterms just ended. So that's a done deal. But you know, the thing with America is that as soon as the midterms are over, all people are talking about is the upcoming presidential election. And you know, putting aside who who might be running, we can kind of guess what party is going to promote what side. I think the Democrats are going to firmly be in the pro-war camp, as it's crudely known, and the Republicans are going to place themselves in the anti-war camp, also crudely known. 
And we're just going to see this bifurcation of the view on this particular conflict just intensify over the next year, I would say more year and a half. But that also depends on what happens on the ground over Ukraine, of course. I'm actively trying to make sure that no one really forgets about this stuff, but hey. Uh, and you're doing a hell of a job. Thank, thanks, guys, because it, it's, re- it's really not that easy. But hey, give us your best, best educated guess. I think we're going to just see a continuation of the same. That's my prediction. I think Putin has to hold out at least to see who is going to be um, the likely two candidates for president of the United States. And then his math is going to change from there. I I really think it's going to be more the same if we sort of have a continuation of what's been happening. I think there's going to be, he'll probably lean into the culture war stuff more if it's a anti-war Republican candidate or just any sort of anti-war candidate. I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be a Republican. And then on the ground, I think it's just going to be more back and forth, perhaps more mobilizations, uh, disagreements over Crimea and uh, disagreements over what kind of aid to send Ukraine amongst NATO members until something else comes along to change, well, either to distract everybody, something totally different that has nothing to do with Ukraine or um, some sort of big event that happens concerning the war. We have very short um, attention spans here. And I guess it's just kind of like what Alex was saying is we just don't have the same experience as um, Latvians or other Eastern Europeans have um, when it comes to geopolitics. So I think we're just as, I mean, yeah. And then I guess like sort of the other thing too, or sort of to answer your question from earlier also about Abrams is it seems like we're just kind of taking like a, a different sort of compromised route to support. So like, yeah, we may not be, we may not be sending Abrams, but I believe there are some, Ukrainian units here training in Oklahoma. Yeah, 500 people. That's great. That's great. Um, so that's something. Yeah. That's just my prediction. About more or less the same as the rest of this year. I don't think Putin's going to be overthrown unless he does something really stupid. I just don't really see that happening. It doesn't. It just doesn't feel like that's the situation right now. I agree with you because there's literally no one to overthrow him in a coup. He 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 could go in a revolution, which is technically possible, but but coup is like I don't see. It. I think he has to lose the military first, and even then, like there's in Russia, there's really no evidence that like losing the military is necessarily a death nail because right. even when like the the Russian army came back after the Napoleonic Wars, losing the military, no, losing a war, losing a war, and being a loser, that's the big pull. Yes, <clears throat> and and even if he doesn't, I mean. Even if he doesn't complete his objectives, it's going to be whatever he does, it's going to be spun into a victory. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One way or another. So it looks like Russia won. It's W. Bush on the on the aircraft carrier, you know, it, in 2003, saying mission accomplished. And then we're still there nine years later. Or it's just like, I don't know, it's just like Grozny or Kazan or just any other name, you know, pick a century. Sure, yeah. And a battle that Russia has been involved in and it's been a, uh, either a hard victory or a quote unquote victory. Let me finish this with this. Uh, currently it's looking like world war one for Russia. And let's hope next year looks like Russo Japanese war for Russia. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> let's uh, let's yeah. be done with that. And uh, and and on this note, because uh, we've run so much over time, uh, I'm just going to say what I usually say, and then you guys give your goodbyes to the audience. So everyone, tovarishi. I will skip the whole support the Eastern Border stuff right now. If you listen to the show, you know it anyways. And uh, as always, remember that happiness is mandatory. Dasvidaniya and Mazel Tov. <laughs> Dasvidaniya. Yeah, I, yeah I, you can find Secret Police really wherever um, your preferred podcast platform. Uh, yeah, Dasvidaniya, agents dismissed. Oh, that, that's, a good, that's a good tagline. That is a good tagline. Okay, bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.